Kiefer's a guy who's doing his part to talk about why he thinks that games are art and gush over things that are near to our hearts. So let's select a game and press start. Happy Halloween, ghouls and gamers, and welcome to an especially spooky episode of Select and Start, the podcast about meaningful and dismemberable video games. I'm your host, The Crypt Kiefer, and I'm joined today by a wonderful, wonderful guest. He is the host of an amazing podcast called Soundtracker, a weekly series about original motion picture soundtracks. You may also know him on Twitter as Uwe Bullocks, but I know him as my buddy, Eric. It's Eric Peacock. Uh, Eric, how are you today? I'm great, Kiefer. I'm so jealous of your intro. Like, I can't... Ah. Very good Crypt Keeper puns there. I can't like the best that I could come up with for mine was like spook tractacular. It's awful. It's awful. And uh, I, I I dig the, you know, ghouls and gamers. Great stuff. Great stuff. <laughs> I appreciate that. You can be scary, scary if that helps you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, No, I'm great. And I'm so happy to be doing this. Like I could talk about Resident Evil 4 for 10 hours if, if, if I were pressed. I, this is just such a joy for me. You know, I've uh, one of the nice things about having a show and doing other shows now is getting to talk about things on other shows that I might not be able to talk about on my show. I just did uh, Dawn of the Dead for another show recently, you know, so it's like it's really great coming on here and doing Resident Evil 4, which is, you know, Dawn of the Dead is my favorite film of all time. And Resident Evil 4 is my favorite video game of all time. I am in heaven right now getting to talk about this. No, that's terrific. I mean, to your point. I was just on your show a few weeks ago talking about my favorite movie of all time, The Royal Tenenbaums. So I, I totally get where you're coming from there. It It is a great feeling to be able to talk about something in a space where your own show doesn't necessarily allow you to do so. Yeah, it's it's fun. It's fun doing this. No, no, it's awesome. It's awesome. For the people who may not know your whole vibe, I do like to ask just to so people can get a sense of it. What do you do and what do you like? Well, I, uh, during the summer I do farm work and during the winter I do substitute teaching just to kind of get me through between seasons. Um, as far as what I like, I'm a huge horror fan. Like that's mm. first and foremost horror. Um, whether it be books, uh, I, you know, I read a lot. I play a lot of video games. I listen to a lot of music. I watch a lot of movies and there's a whole genre or a whole subgenres of each of those things that I stick with that are mainly horror. And I mean, and I have a very wide range of tastes, but like I'm a horror guy through and through. And uh, as far as music goes, there's like old Memphis rap that I'm really into that I don't shut up about right now. I've got a whole <laughs> thread going of like spooky rap music on Twitter that I do every Halloween. Um, you know, like reading is something that I right now I'm in the middle of a Halloween anthology. So I'm very much a, a pop culture person for better or worse. Those are things I enjoy. I enjoy being outside as much as I can, but we're getting into the weather where I'm not going to be able to do that here in Northwest Ohio. Right. And uh, it's, it's perfect right now. We're in the middle of like a, an absolutely gorgeous fall. It's my favorite time of year. Obviously Halloween is my favorite time. I'm literally sitting right now surrounded by lights and decorations. And I, I will leave these up until Thanksgiving because if people could start putting their Christmas decorations up in the middle of November, then God damn it, I'm leaving my Halloween decorations up until Thanksgiving. But you know, there's always that sort of uh, feeling with fall where I know it's, I know it's coming as soon as this is over. So like Halloween ends and then it becomes, you know, unpleasant Ohio weather, but for now, I'm out as much as I can taking walks every day and getting out and seeing nature as much as I can. So those are the things I enjoy. I'm 42, so my yeah. my, my tastes anymore are very boring. No, no, I mean, I get it. Like, I think my the two types of guests I have on the show are my bisexual peers who are my age and then DILFs. So that's kind of where I'm at with, like, my guests. 
fall is also my favorite season. I think it is a basic answer for a lot of people, but it is legitimately one. There's there's a vibe to it that is just, for lack of a better word, immaculate. You are also a pop culture guy. I wanted to sort of ask you, what are your favorite seasonal things that aren't necessarily Halloween uh, things that you like to watch or listen to or read, whatever, during the fall? That are not Halloween adjacent? I mean, it can be Halloween if you want it to be, but say like you're in the middle of November and you want to have something with like Bonnie Bear music. Oh, that kind oh of thing. yeah. Okay. 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 I see. What, I see. I see what you, because I, I was like Halloween. I pretty much am like, uh, he, like it probably drives my girlfriend crazy because it's like constantly, but no. Uh, oh yeah. When you get the deep fall, I mean, <clears throat> yeah. You, Bonnie Bear, Elliot Smith. I'm, yeah, I'm very into like quiet folk grouper. Once I hit deep winter, I'm, I'm a big fan of grouper. As far as reading goes, I, I tend to get a little more nonfiction-y when it gets into like the winter time. I t- yeah. That's where I tend to hit my nonfiction sort of reading. Um, video games, <laughs> it's funny. It, pretty much all I play out of the Halloween season is Hitman, <laughs> the Hitman yeah. trilogy. That's been like all I've played for about six years now when I have free time. And it's not, like, it's so funny. I've bought like four new games in the last six months. And then like all I've done is played Hitman. <laughs> yeah, that's I mean, that's kind of how it is. That's just the, the, the plight of the gamer is just to buy the, the, a million video games and play three ever. <laughs> and then as far as films go, um, no, I like I said, I have a very wide range of tastes as far as movies go. So I really actually when when Halloween ends this year has not been as so I've been like super duper busy. So I have not gotten to do I mean, I've only knocked out about five or six movies so far since mm-hmm. Halloween started. And typically by the end of Halloween, I've binged like anywhere between like 30 to 60 horror movies over the course of October. So by then I am completely horrored out and you know, then I'll get into like, I'm very much a nostalgia guy. So I do do a lot of like eighties, nineties, two thousands movies, be they comedies, dramas. I, I try to catch up. I keep up with new stuff. I still have to see, you know, there's certain things that have come out in the last couple of months that I've not gotten to see that I will catch up with once Halloween ends, everything everywhere all at once, I still have not gotten around to. So that's like the mm. top of my list as soon as October ends to watch. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate you uh, giving me that information. It is a weird season. It is kind of like the lull, especially since right after Halloween is basically when the Academy stuff starts coming out too. Uh-huh. So there's that kind of space between end of summer and then fall where really the only thing coming out that's super interesting, not all the time. I don't want to speak broadly in case somebody messes me. What about this movie? Uh, but <laughs> those movies are mainly the, the good stuff that comes out in September is usually horror or horror-y and then you get into November and you finally get like the stuff that is really good at the end of the year. So it's you're, you're trying to play catch up, but you're also trying to just maintain the, the craze of all that stuff. I'm so excited to talk to you about your video games in general and your relationship with them. But I do have some seasonally appropriate video game news to share at the top of this episode. I don't normally like to dedicate a lot of time to current events on the show because there's usually more than a week between a recording session and when I release an episode. And that's not because I try to get ahead of the schedule. God, God, no. I, uh, I, I, th- my release schedule this series is scarier than like the Iron Maidens and Resident Evil 4. Uh, I don't want an episode to be dated before it's even out. That said, this is a Halloween episode. And it would be wrong of me to ignore a news item about the director of Halloween himself. As fate would have it, film director, composer, and avid gamer, John Carpenter, did an interview with the AV Club that ended up mostly being a conversation about video games a day before we recorded this episode. So Eric, I'm really glad you're here because I know that Carpenter is actually your favorite director and film composer, right? Yeah, absolutely. No question. Yes. This could not have been timed more perfectly. Last episode... 
Em and I got the Breath of the Wild 2 news, the Breath of the Wild sequel news, literally the day we record it, and I had to restructure the entire episode around it. <laughs> so similar to this, I just like put like a million John Carpenter-related things into my notes here. The interview is a delight. The dude is effortlessly cool, and there are some specific Carpenter moments that I want to shout out in it. Uh, the interviewer asked John Carpenter if he ever played video games for the story specifically, and he just says, no, it's all about the gameplay. It's all about that. Nothing else matters. I mean, I'll play a badly designed but great game. <laughs> He's he really is like one of the best. Like, pull, and I, I am like. I am reading this interview immediately when I get off here because he's one of my favorite interviews. Like his commentary tracks, you know, mm. little interviews with him. He's always so funny and just such a good source of quotes. So I'm excited to hear a little bit more of his uh, video game takes here. He was asked about the Metal Gear Solid series and Hideo Kojima because uh, the character Solid Snake is based off of Snake Plissken. Uh, he said, yeah, I do know about Solid Snake. I know about that. Nah, he wrote me. I wrote he. I think he wrote me in lieu of the company paying me any money whatsoever. And the note was just like, "Hey, how are you doing?" He does. He's never played a Metal Gear game. Apparently, his son did, but he he. Those are like games he didn't specifically play. The interviewer asked him if he played Elden Ring yet, and he said he'd check it out. Another thing that was cool was he mentioned that he's open to scoring a video game, but nobody's asked him. Like, I think that's just people not realizing that an opportunity is there. Yeah. Like I, I just, I, <laughs> just imagine having one of his scores. If you did like a survival, it didn't even have to be a horror game. He does well outside of horror too, with some of his yeah. score stuff. Yeah. That's like a, that's, that's an opportunity right on the table there. So I'm hoping someone takes him up on that. Yeah. I really hope the right person reads that review. Uh, it was actually, this piece was actually a news item. Uh, the main thing I wanted to mention was he was asked if he thought about adapting a video game into a movie ever. And he said, quote, uh, the only one I can think of, and I've mentioned it before, is Dead Space. I think that would make a real great movie. I could do that. So he's really into that series, and he's open to adapting that. Like, he would probably come back if <laughs> that, that opportunity arose. I would love a John Carpenter. Because here's the thing. You know, I love Carpenter, and I really do hate that his last directorial effort was The Ward, because The Ward's not even a bad movie. Like, it's competently made. It's Carpenter. He knows how to make. But the thing that that I dislike about the ward is it is his most safe movie he's ever made. Like it is even when he badly, when he swings and misses um, and there are very few of those movies where he swings and misses. And even when he does memoirs of an invisible man, for example, it's <laughs> never, it's never boring. Like there's like, it's you kind of watch it. Like, how did this happen? The ward is just like very standard fare. Like I could guess the ending a mile away. And, and I really want him to take another crack at it just to give us one more p bit of that carpenter magic that, yeah, I mean, I look, I defend ghost of Mars even like, yeah. I, like <laughs> I'm a big fan of ghost of Mars. I think ghost of Mars is awesome, but the ward is just very standard stuff. And I feel like he could do a super interesting dead space. So that would be, it is funny because for him being somebody who doesn't give a shit about the stories, I'm surprised that there is one that he, but I feel like for him, it's more the vibe. I feel like he would probably yeah. disregard the story and do his own thing with that whole concept. No, he goes into it a little bit, talking about like how graphics and gameplay are like the main thing for him. And thinking about it, obviously his stories, the stories that he tells in his movies are thoughtful and there's a lot to ruminate on, but their broad appeal is the fact that they just work aesthetically and as just straightforward entertainment. So I think that really that really plays to be that's a that's a statement of his that makes sense. Yeah. 
I, I need to read that interview. I really need to read that interview. Yeah, absolutely. I hope you check it out after we get off the call. What's your favorite Carpenter, by the way? And what do you think his most overlooked movie is? My favorite of his is Big Trouble in Little China. I would say mm-hmm. his most overlooked is, I was going to say Prince of Darkness, but I feel like there's been a groundswell of love for Prince of Darkness. So I would have to go with Vampires. Oh, yeah. Uh, I just watched Prince of Darkness for the first time this past weekend, and I loved it. So put oh, me down. As, yeah, put me down for a Prince of Darkness uh, revisionism. And you said uh, vampires is the most overlooked. I would say so, because I feel like that came in the midst of like that is at the point where even big Carpenter fans are like he lost his fastball, but he did not lose his fastball. Vampires is fun. Uh, James Woods is like a tremendous <laughs> scumbag in it. It's yeah. Vampires is very fun. Yeah. I Oh, I have no question, because I guess if look, if there hadn't been this recent like Prince of Darkness revisionism, like all of his movies that take about 20 years for people to catch up with mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, because in the mouth of madness, I think is what most people consider his last great film. And he's got a lot of good stuff beyond that. I really think vampires is a fun one. So, uh, yeah, I'll go vampires. I'll check out vampires soon. Then you ever play the thing video game? No, I want to so bad, though. I, it sucks because, uh, you know, I'm subscribed to the PS Now and all that. And I always hope that that'll get put into the classic games collection. But at this point, I've given up hope on that. And like, because that was was that PS2 or PS3? That was that PS2. Was PS2 because it was 2002. See, and I did not own a PS2, which is why I've never played it. That yeah. generation, all I had was the GameCube. No, Carpenter has like gone on record and said that he likes that game. It, it has some of his score in the game itself, which I think is fucking awesome. I've been curious about that game, especially since I just rewatched the thing a few days ago. And I, I, I mean, so many games have riffed on the thing itself and the, the thing video game is critically respected, but as is the nature of video games, they don't really get ported or carried forward into new generations and some really good shit gets left behind. And I think that's what the thing is. You know, I always listen to, I love I, that. And the idea of like the thing as a video game makes a ton of sense. The, the idea of having people in the game that you're not sure whether or not they're your friend or your enemy, you know, mm-hmm. one thing I heard recently coming back to Resident Evil actually is one of the pieces of news about Resident Evil 9, like an early leak about Resident Evil 9 is that Resident Evil 9 is going to use that concept where there are characters in there that can be villains who look like normal people and you have to kind of pay attention to like their faces like you can find clues that they're actually a monster but you have to like pay attention to like the patterns of their face and i think that could be phenomenal and i don't know if the thing game institutes institutes something like that but i have to assume it would i'm going to go on record here and announce that john carpenter is the only gamer allowed to have rights (laughs) mr carpenter i know you don't listen to the show but you are welcome here anytime he would absolutely be my first pick if i could get literally anybody on the show i'm a huge uh, carpenter fan too if it takes playing fallout 76 which apparently he has an absurd number of hours on i'll do it <laughs> I'll, I'll play fallout 76 fuck it um, I, i'm gonna tweet at him to, to come on your show no oh yeah and then we can get him to come on soundtracker because i'm sure he has to have opinions on that absolutely i feel yeah abs- i feel like he has at least one favorite soundtrack i gotta pretend that this is actually a video game podcast now uh there's no community <laughs> that loves to gatekeep more than video gamers. Before we talk about your pick today, uh, we got to check those gaming credentials, Eric. Uh, what is your relationship with video games, your history with it, so on and so forth? Okay, so I have been playing since the Atari days. I'm 42, you know? So like 
I still remember sitting around with my aunt when she would babysit and playing Pitfall. And I actually, it's so funny. I didn't know that the E.T. game was considered very shitty because my neighbor had it. And I remember thinking it was E.T. It was E.T. the video game. Like it was, I thought it was the coolest thing in the world, even though it was like, I didn't really have fun playing it. I was still like, I'm playing an E.T. game. Like look at his neck stretch. I've always been a Nintendo faithful. As long as I've been alive, I had a regular Nintendo, Super Nintendo. It was like the what my parents would save up to get us, like the Nintendo system, you know, when when, when they could get us one. So we had the regular Nintendo Super Nintendo. Then by the time the 64 PlayStation and that came out, yeah, I was working. So I had like, that was what my money went towards. So like I bought myself a Sega Genesis once I started working. So I had the Super Nintendo and the Sega and uh, the 64 and I bought myself a PlayStation. And I do. It's so funny because I miss I really do wish it were just Nintendo versus Sega still, even though like. <laughs> At this, I've never owned an Xbox. After Sega died, I have been strictly PlayStation and Nintendo faithful. But I, right now, you know, I have a PlayStation 4 and a Switch. I'm trying to get a PlayStation 5. But I was, you know, as a Nintendo kid, I had obviously loved the Mario games, the Zelda games, Kid Icarus, the old sports games, baseball and double, double dribble. And I remember thinking in double dribble, the cool i remember you know there's every generation i look back at these effects that i thought were like this is as good as a video game is ever going to look and like double dribble it was like the animation of the person dunking the basketball (laughs) on the super nintendo it was when you knock bowser at the very end of super mario world when you hit bowser with the shell in his little floaty clown face thing and it like does that zoom into the screen i remember Mm -hmm. thinking like this is the peak of video games it will never look better than this (laughs) and uh (laughs) as far as so my love for resident evil and what bought me, what made me buy a PlayStation? Because, like I said, we had a 64. I was in uh, whatever 16 or whatever in high school, and I went to a Best Buy, which is a, going to be a thing of the past at some point soon. Uh, I went to a Best Buy, and it was when Best Buys were still like hopping, and there was shit everywhere, and it was like the coolest place in the world. And they had a demo disc for Resident Evil on a PlayStation, and like I played it. And I was like, well, I know what I'm going to save up for (laughs) now (laughs) with my work money. Yeah, I bought the PlayStation Resident Evil and my love for like survival horror Resident Evil has pretty much existed ever since then. But yeah, I uh, the only generation, like I said, the GameCube was the only system that I had that generation because I was a broke broke college student at that point. And I knew I had Mm -hmm. enough money for one system (laughs) and uh you know, as a Nintendo faithful, I was like, well, I can get the Mario games. And they did that deal with Capcom for all the Resident Evil games. So it won. And I'm glad that it did because like, I just dug up Eternal Darkness recently. You know, I got to play that very recently again. GameCube is a really solid system. Yeah. I, the, the thing about me in video gaming, though, if you want to gatekeep a little bit, is that like, I would never call myself a great game. Like I can beat like I can beat a game on normal. Mm. Um I can play a game through and beat it. Normal difficulty. I was so proud of myself because I beat Resident Evil Village on Village of Shadows mode, like the hardest mode. But like, that's literally the first time I've ever done that on like a nightmare mode or whatever in a game. Like, I don't even I don't fuck with them. I'm one of those people who likes it to be fun and not like I'm less. I'm actually the opposite of John Carpenter. I want to see how the story plays out and get good gameplay. Mm -hmm. But to me, like. You took the Elden Ring or the all the Souls games. Like I wish I liked them more. Bloodborne is so cool looking. I have Bloodborne. It's free with PlayStation Plus. That's why I have it. Because I know yeah. better than to spend money on games like that. Because I just I can't do them. I get <laughs> if it's too hard, like I there's still that part of me 
that wants to like destroy your remote control at 42 if i'm like dying a lot like i was when i was like 10 and throwing fits playing games mm-hmm. um and i can't do that now fucking playstation controllers are like 60 dollars. like i can't afford that no so yeah if you want to if there's any gatekeeping involved it would be that i'm not one of the like get good types like i i am completely comfortable playing on normal difficulty where i get the you know ingest the story and enjoy the gameplay but not too difficult I mean, no, I mean, I'm very much a jack of all trades, master of none when it comes to video games. There's not a game that I can be like, oh, I'm the best at it. What have you been playing lately? Well, I actually played Resident Evil 4 again in preparation for this. I recently re... Okay, so I had Dead Cells on a PlayStation Now subscription, and I had canceled PlayStation Now, and then when they bumped the Plus up to like whatever, they did the whole thing with PlayStation Plus where it's all folded into one. Dead Cells pop back up to being available for me. And I really do love Dead Cells. It's I think it's a phenomenal, probably my favorite roguelike game of all time. So I've been playing that Hitman, uh, Resident Evil 4, Luigi's Mansion 3. I just started again because that's a very fun little Halloween game. I yeah. uh, I played it a couple years ago and it's like it's like Resident Evil for kids, you know, like in a haunted house with with ghosts that you have to fight. And it's it's a really fun time. So. I'm trying to think prior to like Halloween season, what was the other one that I was playing a lot? I actually, you know what? I found my Wii and managed to, if there's any FBI listening, (laughs) I did it legally, but uh, turned my Wii into an emulator. So I was doing a whole bunch of like old JRPGs like Chrono Trigger and Final Fantasy 3. And so that was kind of what ate up a lot of my spring and summer was playing a bunch of old JRPGs. Oh, that rules. I love a good JRPG. Chrono Trigger is like a top five all-time video game for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm jealous. I, I got to go back and find a way to play that uh, in a way that the FBI won't look at me funny. Um, <laughs> look, they're not selling those games anymore. What the hell? <laughs> you know? Exactly. I mean, that's that's half the reason I make this podcast is to complain about that. Yeah. If Nintendo, Look, you know what? It's funny because the Wii, so the Switch, I did not. I, okay. Let me walk back my video game history a little bit. Something I left out. So I got a Wii mm-hmm. and played it and thought it was real cool for like two months and then I got the PlayStation 3 and I never played the Wii again and which is unfortunate because there were a lot of good games like there were good games on the Wii that I'm I'm coming back to and playing now the Wii had the the online store where you could play all the old games and you could purchase like pretty much any old Nintendo game or Super Nintendo game and so I did not have a Wii U so I missed out on it there and when I got the Switch I was like oh shit yeah I've got access to the Nintendo Wii shop that they come or what is it called the uh, virtual store or whatever and then like a few months after I got my Switch, they announced they were not going to have one. And I was like, fuck you, Nintendo. Why do I support you? Like, <laughs> you hurt me every time. <laughs> so, you know, it was one of those things where I was like, you forced my hand, Nintendo. Like, I would have gladly purchased Final Fantasy 3 to play on my Switch. Gladly. That's my, yeah. that's, that for me is a top five game of all time. Chrono Trigger is probably top 10, but I like three Final Fantasy 3 more than Chrono Trigger. But both of those are games that I would have purchased legally had Nintendo not decided to be withholding dickheads about it. No, I don't understand the philosophy behind it. I know that the publishing rights to a lot of games can be a problem, but their substitute for the virtual console being a sort of rent renting model that all digital stores are doing now where, um, what is it called? The Nintendo Switch Online, where you have like yeah. the NES section, the SNES section, and the N64 section. But there's just so many gaps in all of those libraries because you can't have everything and square especially square enix they want to make sure that they get as much money out of every single game as possible while also not doing a great job supporting a lot of their legacy games so 
Chrono Trigger is just in like this weird flux, but you have your so many different ports of every Final Fantasy game that you can't even figure out which is like a good port and which one's a bad port. And it's maddening. Yeah. And like what they did, what they do recently, they like slapped a fresh coat of paint on Final Fantasy three and called it Final Fantasy three remastered. But like and like, look, I got good reviews. It looks like it's probably cool. I do like the smooth dot graphics. But like if I'm playing Final Fantasy three, I want it to look like the Super Nintendo version. I want it to be jagged and like. Um, when someone suplexes a train, it shouldn't look fluid. Right. No, I think that in the, the sense of preservation, it, this is an art form. This is a medium where mm-hmm. you you should have to be able to see the originals in some way. You can't just George Lucas your way through your, your video games and deprive people of that original experience if they want to experience it. So yeah, yeah. like slapping a coat of paint is good, but give people the original too as an option. It's funny that we're talking about like overported games and slapping a fresh and like redoing games for the sake of the original as we're doing an episode about Resident Evil 4 which has been ported to every system imaginable at this point and is getting a remake here soon but uh obviously that's something we're going to get into way more once the show starts oh yeah absolutely yeah the show hasn't started yet guys by the way you well, yeah, are... I guess the, the show has started, but the Resident Evil 4 talk. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So you picked Resident Evil 4 for today's episode. Uh, what is your relationship like with the rest of the Resident Evil series? And what would you consider your favorites overall? And what would you consider your least favorites? Okay, I'll lead off with my hottest take on the Resident Evil series. The worst game in the mainline series is 5. It is the only game in the mainline series that I consider truly terrible. Um, okay. I even defend 6. Okay. Uh, so I, for the in preparation for this game, for this podcast, I played separate ways also. I wanted to get separate ways out of the way. I did not have time for assignment Ada, unfortunately, but I did separate ways. One of the things I noticed about separate ways is separate ways is fun because you can beat the whole thing in a matter of like two hours, but it feels like their dry run for Resident Evil 5. And my problem with Resident Evil 5 is this. It is literally every time you like step into a new room, it's like, and it's like 50 guys running at you. And it gets so fucking old after a time. Like there is nothing fun about it. Like every time you walk into a room, I just like, I'm so, it's like, it's like headache inducing. They, they, they took everything about resident evil four mm-hmm. and like all of the wrong things that people liked about resident evil four. They got like, they took those and made that the, it's like, <laughs> He, to, to sort of give it a like a different like a sort of a parallel here um it chapter one and it chapter two yes so it chapter two to me felt like someone looked at the part in it chapter one where he does that goofy dance and said we're gonna do that for three hours <laughs> like, yeah which is and by the end it was like numbing like i and so like that's how i feel about resident evil 5 like they they were like people like the action in resident evil 4 which of course we do but we like that it's mixed with like old school resident evil like gothic mansions or gothic castles and like quiet moments and puzzles and like resident evil 5 is literally just you're being attacked for 11 hours straight and like the end fight fucking sucks it's it's just a it's just a terrible game i really truly believe resident evil 5 is a terrible video game the, and that's the only one I truly dislike. Six would probably be my next least favorite, but six even has its merits just because I think six was trying. Six was very ambitious and it tried doing a bunch of things that that unfortunately a lot of them didn't work. But I got to kind of respect. And it has that same problem. Chris's section. Chris is always the weak part. <laughs> like okay. Chris's section in Resident Evil six is very action heavy. 
you know, it's Resident Evil 5 all over again. But like the Leon sections in that game, the Jake sections in that game, the Ada sections in that game, there's plenty of good to be found in those parts of the games, even despite the flaws. Now, as far as my favorite games in a series go, obviously four is going to be my favorite in the series. It is my favorite game of all time. Like there's no, yeah. there's nothing touching it. It's tricky after that because then you got to ask yourself, are we talking remakes or are we talking originals? Because like, if I had to pick a second favorite, it would probably be either the one remake or the two remake. The mm-hmm. that, Resident Evil one remastered is incredible. And I will, I'll tell you now, for a game that I played a million times, I was like, nothing's going to surprise me here. And the first time a crimson head stood up, I thought I was going to fucking faint. Like, <laughs> it scared the shit. They make that terrible noise when they stand up. Mm-hmm. And it, it scared the shit out of me. So it is a pretty much a flawless remake, as is Resident Evil 2. I may put Village, because Village is the closest I have felt to the feeling I got playing 4 for the first time since Part 4 came out. I may even put Village at my number three spot. Like, I I really love Village. Um, and then after that, I would have to, like... I, you know, I'm a sucker for Code Veronica. I don't want to leave Code Veronica out. Um, right. I actually might like Code Veronica more than I like 3. Because, again, Code Veronica is another one of those ones that tried something different, even though it doesn't always work. Uh, they tried to, like... The this, this series is getting a little stagnant at that point. Yeah, I, I okay. I'm going to I'm gonna go with a full-on mainline ranking here. Yeah. It's going to go four, one remake, village, two remake, seven, three remake, zero, six, five. Okay. And where do you put Code Veronica and all that? Oh, shit. Um, well, I wasn't counting that as a mainline game. I would put Code Veronica. I would nestle that right in the middle. Okay. Gotcha. I mean, I just know that people consider Code Veronica. Some of them consider it a mainline game. Some of them just consider it a spinoff game. I know there's a shit ton of spinoff games, but I hear... People talk about Zero and Code Veronica in the same breath as they would talk about, you know, any other the numbered entries. Wait, you know what? I actually want to flip flop that. I said Zero before Six. I'll put Six over Zero. Yeah. I, I like Zero. I like Zero. But Zero was really at the point where the game was like getting stagnant. Like replaying it recently, I was like, they really didn't have any new ideas for this, which is fine. It was like sort of a meat, meat and potatoes Resident Evil game. And the train setting's really cool. But once you get off the train, I feel like it kind of loses something because it's like, here we are in a mansion again. Right. No, I hear you. I um do not have the robust knowledge of Resident Evil that you do. I only really got into the series a few years ago over the pandemic, weirdly enough, which is probably not the vibe to get into this kind of game series. I <laughs> remember watching uh, the cutscene, that first cutscene for Resident Evil 3. This pandemic has spread faster than any disease in modern history. Angry mobs around the city. Buildings. Authorities are bracing for more rioting tonight. And I was just like, huh. Um, <laughs> that's uh, that hits too close to home. It's <laughs> too, and that came out like at the beginning of the pandemic, too. Like it was mm-hmm. just like a nasty feeling playing that one. Uh, I got into it over the last couple of years. I played remakes of one, two, and three. I played four, and I've played seven biohazard i have not gotten to eight yet i haven't played five or six i haven't played zero code veronica i haven't played revelations any of those spin-off games and i love the ones that i played i do not have complaints about the ones that i played at three the three remake is a little lacking it is yeah it's it's too small i think you and i talked about it before we recorded sound tracker that that game is just has whole sections cut out of it so it only really feels like a four-hour game yeah and the thing is 
for that four hours, it's very good. Like yeah. it is a fun four hours, but I just remember being like, why did you cut the clock? To-? Like there, it could have, there was no reason. Like it's, it, there's no reason to do that. I actually think I like the original three more than I like the remake of free, but I wasn't ranking originals in my list here. If I did that, I'd have to really, really sit and uh, yeah. rethink that list with, you know, the originals and the remakes included. So I just kind of went with the remakes as far as my list goes. Sure. No, I hear you again. There's these things the, the the margins can be so thin on the good stuff that I, I, I cannot press you for hours and hours about ranking every single game in the series, especially with one as weird of a structure as this one. So you kind of got into something that I was going to ask you in like the segment proper, but I, here's as good a place as any to ask. The Resident Evil series appears to change the gameplay style every three games. So one through three, the original ones, were the classic survivor horror style with 3D models over pre-rendered backgrounds, this fixed camera angle, tank controls. These had like strong emphasis on puzzle solving and accessing new areas to get through mansions and old style buildings. And then four through six take the more action-oriented approach and they go for the over-the-shoulder view and you have significantly you feel more powerful they're more power fantasy type games in a lot of ways and then seven and eight uh shifts that emphasis back to survival horror a bit by going first person uh your character ethan is a civilian who's untrained in combat so these situations feel scarier but they also still have that cinematic feel that four through six were trying to achieve so this is a roundabout way of getting to the question which is four was this critical darling it's considered by many to be the very best in the franchise. Five and six do not get nearly as much love. You've gone into it a little bit. Uh, very, you've laid into five especially. And many fans are outright hostile to these new entries. You've played all these games. Is there anything else that you feel make five and six just a low point in the franchise to many fans besides the action and the execution of that action? Okay, so here's what I'll say about six. If six had any other title, people would have loved it. It's not. It's a great action game. It's a poor Resident Evil game. Okay. Um, five is just a shitty. <laughs> I don't. I'm gonna be. So I, I the prop again. I tried playing five again recently. And couldn't even finish the goddamn thing. Like I got like three chapters in, and I was like, I can't do this anymore. It's just killing. It's mind numbing. Uh, so I don't want to. But for the five fans out there, you know. I'm sorry if I'm beating up on it too much, but it's just, it's not a well-made action game. And I think the problem is again, four had these quiet moments that like, you know, there's, there's tons of like atmosphere that like five doesn't have. And six has a little bit, but again, you're still constantly having to deal with, I mean, six is actually way heavier on action than five, but I feel like the action is at least a lot more fun to play gameplay wise mm-hmm. than five. But I think the problem is that people did want that return to survival horror. And, you know, for all of the, as important as four was, it really did sort of fuck the series over for a few games. I, I hear you. They wanted to recapture that magic. I never played five and six, like I said, so I can't really speak to this. Any conversation I would have about it would be regurgitative. It wouldn't really be a reflection of any experience I personally had. Uh, I remember five coming out in 2009 and six coming out in 2012. So this is probably the height of absurd quick time events in video games. Yeah. So it is a thing that Resident Evil 4 had. It actually popularized and but it executed it. I don't want to say tastefully, uh, but deliberately, I think would be the right word for mm-hmm. it. The, the philosophy of implementing these quick time events initially was to make it feel like cutscenes were more interactive and to keep you engaged in those small moments between 
uh, gameplay and a cutscene. At the time, it wasn't as a common of a practice. Like games like Shenmue certainly had it. I can't blame Resident Evil 4 for popularizing QTEs, but it is a classic example of learning the wrong lesson from an incredible experience. And the series itself is guilty of learning the wrong lessons from their their best game. QTEs are one of those things that were like, like you said, Resident Evil 4 popularized them. And I do agree with you. I think it did it. The one that really got me, and I'm blank, and for right now I'm blanking on the name of it, but the giant fish fight. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, the Delago is the name. I, I fought the Delago. I won. And I was like, oh, what a relief. And I set the remote down. And then there's that one where the rope catches around your foot. And I was like, oh, and I'm like scrambling to grab my remote, you know? So it was, it was very effective the way that they deployed it there. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think they just, everybody decided they were going to do those and that people really liked them. And people, people didn't necessarily like quick time events regardless you know, even in Resident Evil 4, the first time I thought they were like the weakest point. Like, I got to remember to hit the shoulder buttons again. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's like they again. this is what I talked about when like Resident Evil 5 and 6, especially 5, completely misunderstood what people enjoyed about part 4. Because there's a lot of them in part 5. <laughs> a lot of them in part 5. That's the punch to Boulder one, right? Yes. <laughs> okay. I think that they're one of those things that like, I'm trying to think of what else to compare it to, you know, like. Look at look at the Wiimotes. I'll compare it to that. The Wiimotes, where it was like novel for a minute, but it's one of those things that you look back on now and are like, it was a gimmick that didn't age well. And like, they really tried to cram it into everything. Yeah, no, I hear you. So Soundtracker is uh, a podcast about movies and their soundtracks. And I have a few questions about both, especially pertaining to Resident Evil, because you're obviously a fan of these games. Have you ever watched any of the movies? And what is your relationship with those? Okay, so I love I actually have a very big soft spot for the Paul W.S. Anderson original Resident Evil movie with like Michelle Rodriguez. And uh, I actually think that's a pretty fun zombie film. And it's got Mm -hmm. like there's there's some cool ideas at play. Um, The thing about the thing that I don't understand, and they even just recently when they did that other Resident Evil movie for Netflix, which I also did not think was all that bad. I know a lot of people hated it, but I actually did not think that one was terrible either. There's a lot of different Resident Evil things that are out now. There's that 2021 Welcome to Raccoon City one. There's that the new one. TV series. Oh, okay, that's one. Because there's a new one that just came out on Netflix with Lance Reddick that is apparently dog shit. Yeah, that I didn't watch. That I heard okay. was very bad. But um, the 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 one with, yeah, the one with Michelle Rodriguez. And you know, it just seems like it would be so easy to make a good Resident Evil movie just like literally following the plot of the game. You know what I mean? Like there's a, like you could absolutely make an engrossing movie based around the plot of the first game, but they like try to take liberties and, and, and always kind of fuck it up. And, but again, I don't care. Like I'm not somebody who's like tethered to the idea that like, well, you have to have Barry say Jill sandwich. Like I don't, that doesn't matter. Right. Um, So I enjoy the first resident evil, but then I watched the second one. The second Paul W.S. Anderson one, I forget what is it, it's Apocalypse maybe is part two. I don't remember. And thought it was complete and absolute shit. Like I only made it halfway through it. I was like, because it's okay. I will I will say it's basically like <laughs> the jump from Resident Evil 4 to Resident Evil 5 is the jump between the first Paul W.S. Anderson Resident Evil and the second one. Where like <laughs> within like five minutes, it's like Mila Jovovich doing like a front flip somersault firing weapons on a motorcycle in a church and i was like what is going on right now like the first one at least had semblance a semblance of horror and like some some action sequences but like i did revisit one of the later ones where they were in the desert and thought it was 
decent. And I actually do want to go back and revisit that series because I, one thing I will say is when I watched resident evil two, the, the one that I was saying I couldn't even make it through, I was at probably my most cynical, like early twenties, you know, where like I, yeah. I didn't like anything. Mm-hmm. So perhaps I would feel differently about that series because I have had people that have said it's a fun, sort of a fun, dumb series. So I would like to go back and watch that again. I do think some of those animated ones that are like computer animated are, uh, they're fun enough. It's like watching a, a 90 minutes of cutscenes. And I liked Welcome to Raccoon City. I thought it was a decent enough time killer. It's nothing great. It's kind of like the Mortal Kombat movie that came out last year, like a fun way to spend 90 minutes. Nothing. It's going to change my life, but uh, uh, enjoyable enough. Yeah, I wanted to watch at least the original Paul W.S. Anderson one just to have a framework for what any of these movies are like. There's even just the media side of what Resident Evil is, is such an overwhelming task. Yeah. Games aside, but uh, until so until yesterday, I hadn't watched any of them, but I threw on the first one just to get a sense of what they might be like. And I know they get increasingly absurd as they go along. But that first one does, like you say, have its charm. There's a lot of interesting ideas and it's not reverential to the source material. I don't think there's a single character in the movie that shares its name with anybody from the games, but it doesn't <laughs> necessarily have to be that it does clearly have nods to the games like the train and just a lot of the. The, the the shots just like how things are sh- shot with the camera are very reminiscent of the fixed angles in the games and I, I i respect that i don't love the movie but it is it, it does have a lot of cool stuff you got mila jovovich air kicking a dog that is also a zombie <laughs> like it, it's it's got it's got stuff to it i do think it is extremely funny that the 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 most gnarly kills that happen in that movie is built around a security laser yeah and, and not a zombie at all but it is also just like a really good kill like I, I love that suit it's so cool it's honestly like one of my favorite horror movie deaths it is awesome and the, like the way you see the like little like drop of like teardrop of blood yeah close up as right before his body like and you just see it and i'm glad that they did it the way they did because like Short of like having some really good practical effects, which they most certainly by that point would not have been using. It would have been like piss poor CGI. Mm-hmm. You just kind of see him fall apart. As, you know what? If I'm wrong about this, correct me. But it's it's been a minute since I've watched the first Resident Evil. But you see it through like she's looking into the security room and you see him fall apart in the window, right? Like the reflection of his body collapsing. Isn't that how you see it? You see a part of his head in like the the front, the foreground of the shot. And then you see the rest of his body kind of fall into meat cubes with on a reflection of where he was standing in the foreground. Like she's looking through the window, you're looking into his eye and then there's like a reflection of his back. That's kind of just falling to the ground, but it's a, like, a, like against a piece of metal. It's not like a fully, it's not like a full body mirror or anything like that. Right. That's what, yeah, that's what I meant. But like, there's not like a full yeah. shot of his body falling apart. That would have been like, no, 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 no. yeah. Okay. So I do, I did remember it correctly. Um, yeah, that, and that, that's but that that works in its favor because that what was that movie was what ninety nine two thousand two. So yeah, two thousand two. We were still in that weird age where CGI looked like dog shit, and like doing it that way is not only. I mean, I, I guess you could look at it to it like makes it a little more tasteful instead of seeing like a whole <laughs> slop of gore. But the real realistically, it was probably because they couldn't get a shot that didn't look terrible, and uh, it's way better for it though because you know you see some of those like. There's some dodgy CGI in that movie to begin with when they do lead into the CGI. Like the liquors don't look all that great, but it's yeah, it really is one of my favorite like horror movie deaths for being like a non-practical one, particularly. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a it's a movie that has its charms, I think, just 
based off of the fact that it functions as a movie from beginning to end without the baggage of needing to understand how the games work or function, it kind of ends up on the upper end of what a video game movie in terms of video game movie quality. So, I, I mean, I respect it for that. And I mean, I respect Paul W.S. Anderson for just like making a film franchise that's like, yeah, 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 that's all cool. But like, look at how fucking hot my wife is. Like, holy <laughs> right. shit. He's, he's the he's the more successful Rob Zombie. Basically. Yeah, I mean, I just have to respect them on that angle there. And I have to shout out like the soundtrack to that movie specifically. I'm not a Marilyn Manson man. Fuck that guy. He's like a credited composer on that movie. And the movie ends with a Slipknot song in a cut to credits. And it's just like, yeah, this is 2002, man. That's 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 it. <laughs> yeah, that's one that is actually on my on my list um, that, you know, eventually somebody will take it. I'm sure maybe perhaps it'll be you. <laughs> maybe. I mean, like, if you want me to come on again, like, I'll, hap- I'll happily talk about Resident Evil 2002 just because, like, the soundtrack is bonkers. All right. I'm down for that. Yeah, sure. You know, you do a movie podcast about soundtracks, but the soundtracks are a big part of video games, too. Are there any specific video games that come to mind when you think of, like, what a video game soundtrack, specifically with licensed music, can be? Oh, it's 100%. Grand Theft Auto series always has tremendous music. And it's always the, the what, what makes the Grand Theft Auto games fun is like getting in a high speed chase from the cops and mowing down pedestrians while Elton John's Island Girls plays in the, the background. <laughs> it's like an incredibly fun moment. For me, it's Tony Hawk's Pro Skater because those soundtracks put me onto so many. I can't hear the opening like of Goldfinger's Superman without immediately thinking about playing Tony Hawk's pro skater in my dorm room my freshman year of college or sophomore year whatever that would have been uh so for me the tops the the upper echelon of video games with licensed music soundtracks are the Tony Hawk games and actually all the ones that kind of followed in its way like Matt Hoffman's Pro BMX and the Kelly Slater Surfer game or whatever that all had really tremendous soundtracks like those MLB another one that kind of stands out to me was MLB 2000 2004 maybe it was my introduction to snow patrol strangely enough they had spinning games was one of the songs they had was right before snow patrol got humongous for like a year i bought that album because of spinning games being on an mlb game of all things but there's there's been it almost always is sports games honestly it's almost always sports games and then and then the grand theft auto series i think are the other ones that do it really right as far as licensed music and video games I'm really partial to Grand Theft Auto San Andreas's and uh, GTA 5 specifically. Like when I think of being chased by cops, I think of either Phil Collins, I don't care anymore, from 5, or uh, Freebird <laughs> from San Andreas. So, I mean, excellent pools with talking about the BMX and the surfing game and that specific MLB game. Those FIFA soccer games, they all have excellent mm-hmm. soundtracks in my experience. Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, uh, especially those first few games, they really put me on to a lot of music that stuck with me through my entire life. I think it was the first game that had uh, Can I Kick It by uh, A Tribe Called Quest, which is one of my all-time favorite groups just in music in general is A Tribe Called Quest. And Dead Kennedys, I think, is also on Police Truck by uh, Dead Kennedys is in that first game. So really really formative music for me yeah like the two the two the two that i think of that i became like because i i knew goldfinger prior to tony hawk's pro skater but i still just associate it so strongly with that game but the two that i think of that they really those games and it, one of them was i believe matt hoffman's was the one that had the face-to-face song in it that i really liked and then uh tony hawk's pro skater 2 if i remember correctly that had melancholins no cigar that like got me really into both of those bands 
One more, one more video game I wanted to shout out because I, this is my favorite video game soundtrack, not because of the density of it, like Grand Theft Auto or a lot of sports games are, but just because of like how singular it is. Uh, Metal Gear Solid Five: The Phantom Pain has about a dozen songs on the soundtrack, but they are all very much curated by the, the mind of an insane man like Hideo Kojima. For, for context, for you or people who may not know, the game takes place in the late 80s. Unlike a lot of games, you know, where you have music playing on a radio and they only really play it when you are in a car or in a vehicle. This game was smart enough to realize, hey, I mean, people have cassette tapes that they listen to all the time. Kojima has this weird affection for the Sony Walkman. Not weird, but like a very specific connection to the the Sony Walkman as like one of the great devices invented by humanity because you can make music a portable experience. So you can play this game about assassinating people in these, uh, you know, foreign nations as a uh, as hired private military company but you're listening to aha's take on me or uh rebel yell or only time will tell by asia man eater by hall and oats and then like very very specific songs that a lot of people wouldn't know besides like oh I, i've curated these like a uh, mid yours cover of the man who sold the world or uh, <laughs> uh ultravox's dancing with tears in my eyes yes yeah yes that's the one that goes so phantom pain i actually it's one of those games i never finished not because i didn't like it but i actually loved it but it was one of those ones that like it's really long mm-hmm. and i got like midway through and then something had come out because i didn't play it right away i played it like down the road something came out when i was like midway through the game that i was like well i'll come back to this and then like i just never did which i do that a lot with games because like i I'll come back to it and I'll forget what the goddamn buttons are. And I'm like, and then it's aggravating trying to remember how the gameplay goes. And then I just like, it's either I start the whole thing over or I just don't play it again. And that's what happened with Phantom Pain. At some point I may come back to it, but Dancing with Tears in My Eyes is the one that I remember the most from that game. Great game. Uh, It does have an issue with the uh, pacing of it because of the structure of the game, which I will be talking about in a future episode. But I do think that that game is incredibly influential in the sense of like the hitman games sort of emerge from this and it's kind of an early example of what the breath of the wild formula would be for open world games going forward like it is an early example of using an open world space for something other than just causing mayhem in a city mm-hmm. so and i don't want to just harp on soundtracks in video games because the epi- the game my next episode is going to be on a soundtrack heavy video game so we will sort of move forward into okay. the main segment of the game. Eric, I was on your podcast, Soundtracker, to talk about my favorite movie of all time, The Royal Tenenbaums. Uh, mm. You are now on mine to talk about your favorite video game, Resident Evil 4. So this is the part of the show where I'm going to say a bunch of video games in rapid succession, so bear with me. Resident Evil 4 was developed and published by Capcom, the company known for other major franchises such as Mega Man, Monster Hunter, Street Fighter, Devil May Cry, and Ace Attorney. The game's director was Shinji Mikami, who also directed the original Resident Evil and its 2002 remake, as well as Dino Crisis, God Hand, Vanquish, and The Evil Within. This was a game originally released in 2005. Other games released in 2005 include Nintendogs, Mario Kart DS, Animal Crossing Wild World, 
Castlevania, Dawn of Sorrow, Psychonauts, Shadow of the Colossus, Star Wars, Battlefront 2, God of War, Civilization 4, and Gran Turismo 4. That is a lot of major video games released in just one year, but you call this your favorite video game of all time. What made you settle on Resident Evil 4? Okay, so you've probably gathered by now, I'm a big horror person, and I was a, you know, I was in love with Resident Evil from the moment I played that 10-minute demo at Best Buy in whatever it would have been, 90, who knows. When it, when the time came and I was like, I'm going to get myself a video game system, I got the GameCube because, again, as I said earlier, I was a broke college student and I knew they had the Resident Evil deal. And so, like, I you know, I played Zero and was like, yeah, this is cool. It's like, like I said, meat and potatoes, Resident Evil. Mm-hmm. And then four came out and like, I really didn't have, I had like my video game collection for the GameCube, again, being a broke college student was very minimal. I had like a Tony Hawk game or not Tony Hawk game, uh, a Tiger Woods game. I had beautiful Joe one and two. I had, uh, you know, a couple of games like that and uh, Eternal Darkness. So Eternal Darkness up until Resident Evil four came out was like the crown jewel of my collection. And the one that like my roommates in college that didn't have a GameCube would like sit and watch me play. Like this is incredible and I don't own a GameCube. So I'm going to watch you play this. Right. And Resident Evil four, Resident Evil four came out and like, this is before I didn't know what, I don't even know if Metacritic existed at this point, you know, like I'm sure it did in some sort of aspect, but like I didn't look up like video game. I didn't care. I didn't look up the reviews. I didn't realize how well received it was. I just was like, you know, it's a Resident Evil game. It'll be fun. I had no idea what I was getting myself in store for. So it starts off and playing the, GameCube version, other than the cutscenes, it is incredible how like almost nothing looks different than the like modern, like slap a somewhat fresh coat of paint on them, mm-hmm. high def ports look. Because I remember playing Resident Evil 4 and my roommate walked in and I had just started. It was like when I'm walking through, I had like literally just freed the dog and I was walking through the little footpath there. And my roommate came in and he's like, What are you watching right now? Like that's how <laughs> that's how it looked. What what it makes me fall on Resident Evil 4 is there's obviously this sense of nostalgia, like sitting with my roommates, playing that game, then watching me play it, just being like enthralled, like watching this game played. But what I love about Resident Evil 4 is it takes everything that I loved about the original Resident Evil series. You know, it's survival horror. It has moments that are genuinely scary. The regenerators are fucking terrifying. The Iron Maidens are genuinely scary. The noises that the the Ganados make, the like, especially it gets increasingly more scary when they do like the whispering shit at the castle. And it's like these like really psychotic sounding, like muttering to themselves. But it leans into the fact that Resident Evil is a little bit goofy. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It plays it in a very funny way. Like Leon is quipping the whole time and there's like one liners and everything is played with this sense of like, this is also very, very stupid, but not like in a mocking way. Like this is, it's goofy and you should have fun with this. I'm sure you boys didn't just tag along so we could sing Kumbaya together at some Boy Scout bonfire. Then again, maybe you did. In the gameplay itself, I know I've heard people say that like now that controls don't hold up, but like, you know, when I come back to it every year, there is a bit of adjustment to the way the controls play, but I still think it plays incredibly well. I think the controls hold up well. It is just like an entire package for me. I love the storyline, even though, again, the storyline is a little bit dumb. Mm -hmm. I love the storyline. I love the gameplay. 
I think it holds up well graphically. There's this sense of like a time and place that I got this game. Like the year that I bought this, I lived in this house with six other guys and it was like the most fun year of my entire time in college. Like it was just, you know, a bunch of guys that I was like incredibly close with, you know, it was winding down my time in college. It was like right towards the end. And so I, I have that sort of like time and place thing with it. It is just an incredibly fun game that gets everything right about Resident Evil for me. Gameplay and tone. That's a, that's a very great thoughtful answer. I really appreciate you digging into that. In a lot of ways, it's not only an evolution of Resident Evil as a franchise, but of video games as a whole. And I really think you touch on that, describing the graphical advancements it made, the mastery of aesthetics that it has, even though it does look like an older game in the grand scheme of things now, the visuals, the, the designs that they made for that game and how everything looks, it all holds up incredibly well that you still get the atmosphere, even as the game is starting to look its age. I played this game for the first time last year. It still was effective on me. The controls were an adjustment for sure, but I did not feel like I was playing an, an old game at all, actually experiencing it. A brief summary about this game's plot doesn't accurately convey how bonkers this game is on a narrative <laughs> level. So I'll just keep it simple to start. And if you want to, we can dig into the insane bits later. Uh, but speaking broadly, this game follows Agent Leon S. Kennedy, who is tasked with rescuing the president's daughter, Ashley Graham, after she's abducted by a cult. He follows a trail to a, a remote village in Spain where the cult Los Illuminados has used a plague called Las Plagas to control the minds of the local villagers. Leon must fight off the villagers as well as Las Plagas that he ends up infected with in order to save the president's daughter and stop this cult from taking over the world. It's very B-movie. It's just a very B-movie plot. Like This is the kind of thing that you would watch in the early 90s. It, it, it fit in right in a tone with that. And I think that's awesome. I think that it's awesome that it can convey such bonkers shit and also be completely terrifying. You talked about the Iron Maidens and the, the Regenerators, uh, but just like that guy with the bag over his head with a chainsaw that's kind of like yeah. the send up to the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Just like the way that that is implemented throughout the game as an effective scare is, it's great. Dr. Salvador is the moment, that was for me the moment I realized I loved the game is as soon as that chainsaw kicked in and there was this screaming maniac who cut my head off the first time I played. That was the moment that I was like, this is something really special. It is the perfect evolution of the Resident Evil game at this point. It's fast paced. I was like, you know, trying to like you're you're warding off. You're you're in a in a house. You know, it's a it's a siege at the beginning. You know, you 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 because you had that sort of quiet early bit where you you enter the house and like your first guy that you come to just is mildly aggressive. You know that he's bad. He walks up to you if you let him get close enough. He's going to hurt you, but you could get through him pretty quick. And then you you know you do with a couple guys outside, and there's a whole run into some people along this path. But then you come to this area where you find one of the guys who dropped you off hanging. And the, the, this GameCube had this like, because the GameCube had such goofy controllers that there was like one in particular that you only used, the only used it once. And it was to move the binoculars forward to see the mm -hmm. guy hanging in the fire. And I don't think you ever, if I remember correctly, you don't ever use that particular joystick again. But it was like the one way that they instituted it in the GameCube version. Christ. And, no. you, you know, then the next thing you know, you're besieged by a whole bunch of crazy people. and you're like, what do I do here? And then you hear a chainsaw and it's like, oh God, like. <laughs> this game especially just always has a way to put you on edge, whether it is like these massive monsters or a chainsaw man. The one that would always fucking get me 
was I thought I was just taking out a normal zombie. I would explode its head open and then boom, the tentacles like rope out of its head uh-huh. and it's still going. And you just created a more dangerous enemy that you now have to deal with in this massive group. Every single time it happened, every single fucking time. I I, I, I felt like I was about to shit my pants. It was, it, it, it always gets me. Well, and there are varying degrees of the things that pop out of their heads, like the tentacle ones. They're a little easier because at the very least, they don't like break free of the body and chase you down like the like crab sort of like scorpion looking things that like hang out. And if you shoot the body down, then that thing dislodges from the body and then you got to deal with this thing crawling along the floor. Um, yeah, it's like the it's like the thing, like like the movie, the thing where like the thing just just like starts crawling around and just created a new problem. Yeah. Okay, I want to go back to the plot real quick. So the last that you see Leon Kennedy as a Resident Evil fan is Resident Evil 2. And at the end of that game in the canon version, you know, he and Claire are taking off on a train. You've gotten the real ending and like he's but he's like a fresh faced rookie on the job. And you the next time you see him, he is being sent on a solo mission (laughs) to a mysterious village to rescue the president's daughter. It is such a funny jump. Like you, it is such a B movie plot that like he's this one man army all of a sudden, mm-hmm. but like it works well because he's just this brash, confident guy in this game. And like, you don't need to see what made him this way. You just kind of accept it. You let it wash over you. Yeah. I mean, like the guy has obviously seen some shit in two. He can't be the young baby face guy anymore and sell it on that angle. So instead he's just this very cocky kind of emo asshole who's just cracking wise the entire time it's kind of like the transformation from ash and evil dead versus evil dead 2 and into army of darkness like this guy has seen some shit and he's a little on edge now and now he can just all he can do is laugh in the face of the abyss yeah that's a great parallel right there with the of the evil dead films and ash's arc well hello mr fancy pants i got news for you pal you ain't leading but two things right now jack and shit and Jack left town. It reminds me a lot of that. It reminds me a lot of uh, Raiden from the Metal Gear uh, franchise, just going from like a guy that everybody kind of laughs at for being an effeminate weirdo, and then suddenly he's the badass in the next game that he shows up in. It's great. It's I, I love how fucking 2005 Leon is in this game. <laughs> the hair is so 2005. Yeah, it's 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 such a weird game just looking at leon as a character alone like he looks cool but then you see the way that he interacts with everything and there's just there's a weirdo in there before we get more into how awesome of a game resident evil 4 is we have to do a regular segment here called no country for old games the subject of game preservation and making games readily available for players means a great deal to me which is why i do this segment where we rate a game's availability on a scale of a to arg and Arg obviously is me expressing frustration on how hard it is to acquire a game, and it is not me advocating for piracy at all. That is illegal. Don't do that. <laughs> Resident Evil 4 was originally released in January of 2005, initially as part of an agreement between Nintendo and Capcom, where Capcom would develop and release five games to be exclusively released on the Nintendo GameCube to boost sales of the console, which was struggling to compete with the PlayStation 2. The agreement was made so Nintendo would appear more attractive to third-party developers. Like you said, uh, Eric, there was a nice, solid uh, collection of games on the GameCube that you couldn't play anywhere else, but they were kind of lacking in terms of the third-party support, especially since their discs were not DVDs the same way that they were on the PlayStation 2. Mm -hmm. So that was just something Nintendo could not compete with. 
The five games were PNO3, Dead Phoenix, Beautiful Joe, Killer7, and Resident Evil 4. Ultimately, though, uh, this deal was a major disaster. And it was a disaster for Capcom and Nintendo. Dead Phoenix was canceled. And because of modest sales, the only game that would end up remaining exclusive to the GameCube would be PN03. The other three games would go on to be ported to other consoles in order to boost sales. Resident Evil 4 was ported to the PlayStation 2 on October 25th, 2005, meaning it was only a Nintendo exclusive for nine months. The PS2 port also features additional content not included in the original GameCube release, most notably the Separate Ways campaign, which was a playable scenario focusing on Ada Wong instead of Leon Kennedy. Resident Evil 4 is a famous example of a game that is consistently ported to new consoles to this day. Uh, It has since been ported to the Wii with motion controls. Uh, That was in 2007, and it's been ported to countless devices and consoles in the years since. The version you can purchase on digital storefronts today is the remastered HD version. It is readily available on Steam, as well as the Switch, Xbox, and PlayStation stores. And this isn't even mentioning the VR version released last year uh, for the Oculus or the upcoming remake coming out uh, next year. Eric, you say that you still play the GameCube version when you go back and replay this game every year or so. Uh, have you ever played any other version of Resident Evil 4? Oh, no, 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 no. I This is the first time that I played the GameCube version in probably 15 years. Was Oh, okay. For this show, because I just found it. No, I've played it on other systems over the years. I have played it. I've owned it on the PlayStation 3. I've owned it on the PlayStation 4. And... I will most likely, I actually might even get it on the Switch just because it would feel kind of fun to have it home on Nintendo again since it was my first time playing it was on a Nintendo system. Mm-hmm. And like, it's oftentimes on sale and it'd be kind of fun to be able to play a handheld. But uh, it's cool knowing that I will have this game on PlayStation 5 because of the backwards compatibility and the fact that I own it on the 4. So at the very least, I will have the original. Even if the remake is a disappointment, I will have the original for at least one more generation of games. No, I mean, that is a great way of looking at it. No matter what happens, that original can never be taken away from you. And for a lot of people, the question of a remake isn't as obvious as it would have been for Resident Evil 2 and 3. Uh, After 3 came out, a lot of people were sort of hoping for a remake of Zero or uh, Code Veronica, like those games we were talking about earlier. But Mm -hmm. I think it seemed fairly obvious that they were going to come to 4, as well as that game has held up overall, especially as a game from 2005. People are, were going to want a remake of 4, whether they admitted it to themselves or not. I greeted that news, like, sort of angrily. Like, you don't just... Because somebody just did a a high de- an actual high-def remake of Resident Evil 4 that you can get on Steam. And apparently it's awesome. And they added a couple of new sections to it. The gameplay is pretty much the same. It just looks like it was made on a modern engine. And I would have been just fine with that. What I will say is this. I have high hopes for the Resident Evil 4 remake. I did not until I played Village. And that was when I was like, they'll get this right. I think they'll get this right. There are things that have me very excited. And like the tone and the feel of Village has me excited. But at the end of the day, if none of those things are true, and it turns out that they Resident Evil 3 remake it, they would be stupid to do that. And I really don't think they will. I think they know how much is writing on this remake uh, and how many fans it has. But if they did screw it up somehow, the original will never go away. So and especially with as easy as it is to find. No, yeah, I'm with you right there. I don't think there's anything that would ruin Resident Evil in the minds of its fans. I mean, they've been through much worse than like one disappointing game. I think if uh, your biggest problem in the past few years has been a Netflix series, I mean, 
who among <laughs> us, you know, who among us has been burned by a Netflix adaptation? No, I'm excited for it. I really have no idea how this is supposed to look because I think as of the time of this recording, there isn't really any information, uh, any visual information that we're working off of other than the games coming out next year, right? There's a trailer. There's a trailer with a little bit of gameplay stuff in it, but supposedly there's a another big rumor is that there's a demo coming very soon. Yeah, I think the demo is like the best format for whatever Resident Evil is in terms of showing it off because after, what was it, seven, they did that? Like mm-hmm. that was that was the biggest sell that you could possibly make on that game was just like, here's a demo. Here's what it's going to be like. Go check it yeah. out. And I mean, I was sold on it. I I love that. I like that their demos that they've had for seven and eight were things that didn't actually take place within the game. Like they were their own separate stories. It's it's viral marketing. It is what viral marketing should be in this day and age with video games. And I I, I love it for that. If there's one thing that we should be taking away from that PT demo, it's that Getting your hands on something and trying it out is the best way to be sold on something. I, the PT thing is so disappointing, though. Yeah, it is upsetting. There's rumors that a Silent Hill game is being developed uh, right now that is mm. not tastefully incorporating those ideas because nobody involved in that demo is involved with this game. But there is like Konami being the 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 cannibalizer of its own properties that it is making a big swing and probably just like doing watered down PT as the next Silent Hill game. There's no rooting for Konami. (laughs) No, I really, truly awful company. If you're just like, it's watching a company make the wrongest possible choice at every single time. It's like watching the guy you love to hate in a horror movie, just making the shittiest choice every single time. And (laughs) sideshow Bob stepping on rakes. Yeah, it's just the wackest company. So, yeah, you said that you've played this game on all manner of console over the years. I played this game for the first time on the Switch. And like I said earlier, there was a bit of a control jank that I had to get used to. But I really couldn't figure out if that was because of the age of the game or the controller being ill-suited to the game. Uh, You and several other people who I've seen online uh, in the weeks leading up to this episode have mentioned that this game feels built for a GameCube controller. Would you agree with that assessment? Yeah, absolutely. And playing it on the GameCube again was like such a... F- so I play this game every year. Every year for Halloween, I play this game in October. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a tradition for me. And it has been since it came out. I But like I said, I had not played it on the GameCube. And there is a very good chance that that might be, at least until my Wii dies or something happens, that might be the one that I play as long as I can ride that out going forward, because there was, it was like heavenly choirs played when I (laughs) held that GameCube remote in my hand and like fired the game up and started moving around with the remote. It was like coming home again. You know, it was like, yeah, I I appreciate the person who picked this game, being able to play it on the original device because it's a completely different experience. It's, it's like that for any original game, having it played in the original intended format is part of the experience. I'm not saying that that is the only way to play something. I'm not a purist. I just said, I played this on the switch. But it does matter for a lot of people. And I'm glad I got you on the show to talk about it in this way. Well, and the funny thing is I had to play. I did have to because the GameCube version doesn't have separate ways. And I had forgotten that. So mm-hmm. to play separate ways, I had to fire it up on my PlayStation 4. That that That, that is funny. That the that again, like it is built for the GameCube. But again, nine months after it was originally developed, it was ported onto the PlayStation 2 because that's where the money was. And Nintendo had, had to have been so pissed. Like they had to have been so mad that that happened that way. Look, everything ended up fine for Nintendo. We don't gotta, we don't gotta relitigate oh, I, it. Yeah, I, I don't know. feel bad for Nintendo at all. Oh no, 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 no. They they continue to step on their own rakes once in a while. Yeah. 
So this is a game that is about as readily available as a game can be. You have <laughs> countless ways that you can play this game in a, a format that is suited to it. I can comfortably rate this game as an A for available without any caveats. Resident Evil 4 is one of the most important games of the 21st century. Its third-person, over-the-shoulder perspective became the standard for third-person video games, whether for other survival horror games such as Dead Space, Evil Within, which was also directed by the director of this game, The Last of Us, which borrows heavily from the framework left behind by other Resident Evil games, or just standard action games like Gears of War, Uncharted, and Mass Effect. So this is a game that is pioneering in the way that we play video games, especially in the decades since that it came out. What's something you love about Resident Evil 4, though, that you wish more games would do? You know, here it is. Not take themselves so seriously. That is absolutely the... And that's one of the things that I'm a little bit... And I'm thinking that it's just to sell the game. I'm really hoping that the remake doesn't get as dreary as it looks like it's going to be because it's one of the things that makes this game so fun is that sort of B movie. I think everything wants to be, and I love last of us, like last of us is an exception to this, but I think a lot of things want to do the last of us thing where it's like, this is for adults and it's for grownups and like, well, yeah, that's cool and all, but like, give me Leon Kennedy saying like, where's everybody going to bingo after everybody <laughs> almost kills him at the beginning. Where's everyone going? Bingo? Because gameplay-wise, like you said, a lot of things borrowed from this. Like, third-person games still feel this way. The controls are, you know, no different. I, the, the main thing I could choose is, like, I wish that certain game games would not take themselves so seriously. Like, look, a, a game that I truly loved that a lot of people did not like was Days Gone. I, I thought Days Gone was a fantastic game, and I do not understand why it got so much hate. Hmm. But the story was very lacking and it also partially was because it took itself super seriously. It was very dour and like the writing didn't live up to it, mm. um, but it's a very fun game. So I, I feel like had they taken days gone and made it just a little goofier, like, like there's a part where she says like, I want you to ride me like your Harley that everyone got mad about. That was one of the more fun parts in the game when it came on. That's <laughs> the kind of, that's the kind of attitude that that game could have probably been significantly better received. Had it kept that sort of tone throughout the game. So I that's that would be my one thing. That would be my thing is is this game's way of sort of like very being tongue in cheek at certain points. I think more games could stand to do. There's a charm to the fact that it doesn't take itself so seriously. Like we're talking about Carpenter a lot in this episode. I watched They Live for the first time this past weekend, too, which I know tremendous blind spot. I'm so sorry. I'm only 26 years old. I have a whole life to live. Um, <laughs> but I watched it for the first time this past week. And the thing that really stuck out to me is just how you know, Roddy Piper just fucking goes for it with the quips as soon as he puts those glasses on. Like, mm -hmm. number one, he's complete buy-in. I'm going to murder every, every, every fucking gross thing in my path now. Two, like, he just walks into the bank and then says, I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Blam, blam. That is the tone that <laughs> Resident Evil 4 has the entire time with Leon Kennedy. He is there on a mission and he's there to quip and joke about it the entire time. Yeah, like the only time he gets serious is when Lewis dies. Mm -hmm. It's the only time you see him upset. Lewis! Lewis! Resident Evil 2 Remake, it doesn't take itself super seriously. Like you see the way that Claire and Leon especially interact with one another. There is, uh, they have a rapport. They have something going on there where they're, they're actually able to talk and it's not so serious all the time. I think literally... 
the first spoken line from a character in the game is that trucker just like quip commenting on like the zombie situation is like huh. sounds like my wife or some shit like that <laughs> like they can do that and it wouldn't be completely anachronistic with what style of tone they've cultivated over the past few years but and i'm not trying to invoke the specter of joss whedon but it is going to feel a little different how unseriously it takes itself uh in 2023 versus how it would not take itself seriously in 2005 when it's trying to evoke the late 80s early 90s kind of action movie you know what that is a very good point you joss you had me when you said joss whedon that was as soon as you said it i like i was like oh shit (laughs) (laughs) oh you're right though you're right that's what it would evoke it would be like that joss whedon quippiness not like 80s action star quips and that's a shame joss whedon just ruins everything yeah, I mean, I'm. we don't know. I'm not going to shit on something that isn't even out yet, but if it does go for Army of Darkness, Ash Williams, or that era of Raimi in general, like if they do that, fucking great. I hope they do. But my, my, my worry, my one fear shirt that I'm putting on right now is uh, Joss Whedon quips in Resident Evil 4 Remake. Oh, I don't want that. I don't want that. Lewis is like, hey, I, I don't actually, you know what? I haven't, I'm so far, I was going to try to make up a Joss Whedon line of dialogue, but I'm so far removed from watching anything he's made that it, like, I was like, I'm going to give up on this before I even start because I can't think of anything. But like, that, anyone listening at home knows exactly what we're talking about here. Las Plagas, that's not a thing. <laughs> that's just, oh, just shit like that. Yes. Well, like the trailer, the trailer is like Leon in a car and it's like him being like haunted by everything that happened in Resident Evil 2, which like, hey, that's fair. <laughs> like, That's fair. Um, But like, I just hope that it like as it goes on, hey, I would be fine if like the arc was like him getting there miserable and then kind of like realizing that like he's having fun sort of doing this mission and like that's how it evolves. Sure. Uh, as opposed to like being quippy right away. I'd be fine with that. And that I'm sure it's Resident Evil. Even the very serious ones have like goofy outfits and things you can wear. You know what I mean? So like that's always been sort of an undercurrent of any Resident Evil game is the goofiness. But I feel like four is the one where like sometimes that goofiness was unintentional in the early games. And mm-hmm. four was the one where they like it was like, no, we're doing this on purpose now. No, it is a perfect balance. It does find the best of everything it does just everything feels calibrated to be the right amount of goofy to give itself a little like leeway with the audience experiencing what is going on but also being a scary enough game that it does actually earn its its scares you know like your evil dead 2 or your army of darkness another thing that like okay you know i I really like the inventory system in re4 a ton i remember the first time playing it like Every, the merchant is obviously like the probably the low key MVP of Resident Evil 4. You know, welcome, stranger. Like, he's the best. He's oh, the he's best. awesome. I love him so much. Welcome. I was playing separate ways and I ran into a room and it was after one of those like big fights. And I ran into a room and the merchant was standing there. I have the Chicago typewriter right now. I decided to buy that just so I could kind of, I kind of wanted to zoom through separate ways quickly, you know, like get through yeah. it just to, like get the story beats down. And I ran into this room and he was standing there and I put one in him. And when he dies, he's like, and he like lets out this like really long extended gasp. That is fucking fun. I didn't mean to shoot him. I was like, I'm sorry. <laughs> uh... 
I had I had saved a long time before that. And I didn't feel like going all the way back. So I was like, well, I guess I'll see you at the next stop merchant. The merchant, like the, the, the attache case and like having to find bigger cases, the money to get a bigger case and like I can fit more shit in here. And like they do that in the new games to an extent. I actually did not like how limited the inventory was in Resident Evil 7 all that much. Like that kind of annoyed me a little bit how little room you had in Resident Evil 7 to carry stuff until you got backpacks. But even then, there wasn't a lot of room. Same with Resident Evil 2 Remake. Like, I don't care for the inventory systems in those games. I would say bring back the inventory system they had in Resident Evil 4, but it looks like they already did that with Resident Evil 8. And I'm hoping they keep that sort of inventory system because it's their best one. No, I love the inventory system so much. Any game that uses an inventory system, even remotely like it, is immediately my jam. Mm -hmm. The 2017 Prey game does something a little similar to it and it's like okay. oh great you're 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 a game i love now and it's a shame that more games don't do it well it's like an element of tetris on top of inventory and i exactly. love exactly it. it's like a mini game another tremendous achievement that this game does that kind i mean people talk it up if you're in the know about video game industry but a lot of people who play the game do not know about this feature because the game doesn't telegraph it to you at all the adaptive difficulty of the game mm -hmm. this they don't advertise this feature at all in the game if you are struggling in a specific section in Resident Evil 4, rather than giving you a prompt saying, hey, buddy, you suck. Do you want to you want to you want to go down a normal or even easy mode to get through this segment? As you restart more, the game becomes more manageable, like crowds become smaller or just little things. Uh, maybe ammo becomes more plentiful. Something changes in the game to sort of adjust to the fact that you are struggling to get through a segment because the game doesn't want you to be stuck because they know you will quit the game eventually or you'll start tilting like in pinball. And if you are doing exceptionally well at the game, it will make the game's difficulty harder because it's thinking, oh, you're actually learning how to roll with the punches here. Let's 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 scale it up a little bit and see if you you start struggling again. And it's that beautiful, invisible relationship between the game and the player I think that is what video games should try and do more. I think difficulty is something that players get too hung up on in the conversation of video games. And this is a way of sort of managing difficulty without frustrating players who probably don't play a lot of video games and also rewarding purists who tell people to get good at everything. Yeah, you know, and that's one of those, like, I cannot believe how... <laughs> You talked about the gaming gatekeeping and all that. Like, I cannot believe how many people get so fucking riled up at the idea of From Software putting an easy mode in one of their games. Like, people get livid at that idea. And it's like, what if someone just wants to enjoy this game that everyone else enjoys but cannot enjoy it as it is presented to them now? Like, it is such a weird thing to get mad about because if I play a game like that on easy... What in the fuck does it affect your life playing video games? Like, who cares? Who cares? But the adaptive thing is cool because, as you said, like, then there doesn't even have to be a conversation. Who can, Like, there's no conversation over it. Like, the game does it for you. Yeah. If you get mad at the game doing it for you, <laughs> that's... Get good. Yeah, get good. It just, the game <laughs> is giving you the resources to get good while you play the game. And the game is eminently replayable. It actually encourages you to keep replaying the game after you beat it. So it's not like you're losing out on an experience that you can't go back to eventually. I don't know. I think it's the perfect idea of what people should do to manage the difficulty conversation, uh, especially since so many difficulty settings never really get more imaginative other than there's more crowds that you have to fight through or they have more health. This is a game that actually makes thoughtful considerations about gameplay and the player's relationship with it 
And I adore it for that. And you know what? You talked about the replayability. Resident Evil, I, obviously, like I said, I play this game once a year, which is obviously very replayable for me. But this is the first game of the 3D era of video games, maybe even of all time. I just don't remember all the way back to like Nintendo and Super Nintendo that I started and played immediately through again after I finished it the first time. Because that's just one of those things I would finish a game and be like, that's cool. And like, I would come back to it maybe a month down the road, two months down the road, a year down the road after I played some more stuff. But like, I finished Resident Evil 4 and I was so like upset that it was over and then it was like new game and I could buy like, what was the Chicago typewriter all about? What is this all about? I'm going to play again until I can afford that weapon and see what this does or an infinite rocket launcher. I was, I mean, yeah, I played that game two times in a row and it was the very first one that I've done it with in all of the 3D era for sure. I love how replayable the Resident Evil games are. Four is probably the longest of the the Resident Evil games, at least from the ones that I played. But even then, it's still pretty tempting to go back and just start it from the beginning because it is a game that is basically immediately fun from when you start it. And really, if there's a problem with the game at all, it's that the the last stretch isn't as good as the as the rest of the game. That's the same complaint that Village gets, but I don't necessarily. I guess I would agree that it's not as good, but I don't think that it is like a huge step down. Like no. I, the island stuff. Yeah. When you get to like the big dudes with the turrets and stuff, but like at the same time, that last section has the regenerators. It has mm-hmm. like, you know, the, the like the prison cells where you can hear them. It has that really creepy fucking meat bag that starts moving. That is never explained in that one. Uh, you open that spot up and there's like a bag full of like, not a bag full of meat. It's like something that's alive and it starts wiggling around and it's never explained. Like, so the end, it has the best jump scare in the entire game. Mm-hmm. When the guy comes out of that raging inferno, that comes out of that incinerator and chases you down. So I really do think that like the final stretch is really, really good. And I don't agree with the assessment that it is like me. I, I would agree that it's maybe a small step down, but there's so much good shit in that final section. Oh, no, I would never throw it away. I'm not saying it's bad by any means. I'm just, you know, making the observation that like, look, like the, the game, you you would just like remember at that point, oh, the beginning of the game so much better. Well, guess what, buddy? You can go right back there in the beginning and get get yeah. the rest of the inventory and make that that last stretch a bit more bearable with a rocket launcher or whatever you need. And to be clear, I didn't want to sound like I was being confrontational with no, you. No, 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 no. Because because it 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 um that is like one of the big complaints that I hear, and I heard a lot when Village came out that like once you get to the Heisenberg stuff, it's not as good. But like, nah, I don't agree with that assessment, and that's like a that is a very popular assessment over Resident Evil Four. So it wasn't directed at you. It was like years of pent up frustration at hearing that. <laughs> like I'm here to set the record straight. No, you're we're very, we have a rapport. I like you. We we like each other. <laughs> don't worry, don't worry, listeners. We're not fighting. <laughs> but we are going to have a conversation because we do have to kill our darlings a little bit on this podcast. No video game's perfect, though many come close. Uh, what is something you wish Resident Evil 4 did better? Okay, well, again, my big complaint was that they kill, uh, damn it, no, I'm blanking on his name, Martinez. Mm-hmm. I think I got that wrong. The big bearded, the, he dies early on. I think that you're supposed to, and it does, I, I think you're supposed to care a little bit more about Louise than you do when he dies like i think you're supposed to care about his character a little more Lewis! but the big complaint here is ashley the way the character's written there is unquestionably the weak point of this is the way that character's written she is like helpless she's there for people to like characters to sort of like it's gross like she's a kid in the movie well, i guess she's not a kid she's supposed to be like 
18, 19, but like, yeah, college age, you know, at the end, like she wants to fuck Leon, you know what I mean? Like we should go back yeah. to my dorm and it's like the character's terribly written. Uh, mm-hmm. Ashley is the big weak point for this game. It's characterization in general outside of like Leon. <laughs> yeah. Characterization is a problem. So, uh, after you take me back to my place, how about we do some, um, overtime? <laughs> Sorry. Somehow I knew you'd say that, but it doesn't hurt to ask, you know? I know some people dislike some of the villains. Like, I know some people that dislike Krauser. I don't think, I think the villains are all very well done in this game. Sure, Um, yeah, I agree. I think for me, the big issue is Ashley. I do like that at one point they do have an Easter egg where if you're like, and I didn't know this until I saw it in YouTube videos because I'm not a fucking weirdo who gets horny over video games, but like the part where like, if you like stare up her skirt, she'll like tell you off or whatever. And it's like, that's at least they were thought to do that. But like the rest of the game kind of betrays that because, um, apologies to anybody who gets horny over video games. I just realized I like called you weirdos for that. And I didn't mean that. That might, that might sound bad her character is written to just be like a helpless like sex object. And that sucks. Ashley being like a character that you're supposed to be horny for and is also completely helpless is a terrible, terrible bit of writing on their part. Sure. I mean, and it doesn't help that the, um, the escort, uh, aspects of the escort in the sense of like, you are helping this character navigate through this dangerous situation while you're the powerful person and she's helpless in execution. That is like some of the, most frustrating parts of the game. And I can understand why a lot of people do not enjoy it because she's not able to defend herself at all. And you keep getting those like voice lines like, help me, Leon, that really kind of great on you. So help me, Leon. I I don't know. I think the last of us really kind of like got to what that relationship should be in terms of like, I'm developing like a kinship with somebody who is somebody that I want to protect and then seeing that relationship flip after the second third of the game where Ellie is protecting Joel. Mm-hmm. That that works. Resident Evil 4 just unfortunately falls in like the early examples of uh, escort missions in video games just not working at all. And the relationship with the characters is very uh, grating. Is she... Well, you know. Don't worry. She's cool. And that is for sure, for sure, like confirmed one of the wrongs that they're trying to write with the remake. So that's cool. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, That's what a remake should be is just kind of like an assessment of like what didn't work instead of playing up the wrong ideas of what did work the first time. So I'm, I'm looking forward to see how they how they fix the Ashley stuff moving forward. We don't. Is there anything else about the game that you would want to harp on in a negative way or? Well, I mean, obviously, the quick time events have not aged well i don't actually the one that i don't like the krauser knife fight because it's just too many it's too many and like like you have to do the whole thing over if you die and it's annoying it's annoying on paper the mini game where you have to like shoot targets and you get the bottle caps is fun but like i will never in my life play it long enough to collect all of them because it gets increased again it comes down to me not getting good enough but like Mm -hmm. i i will never collect all of those little figures and like they could if they want to do a mini game like that uh, because the collectibles are a really fun part of Resident Evil games, like getting the collectibles, but like improve that one a little bit <laughs> in between right. now and the remake if you're gonna keep it. No, I, I get that. There's one quick time event that I love, and it's just because it reminds me of the 2002 Resident Evil movie, and it's like the laser room mm-hmm. that you have to do like the fucking matrix flips to jump over 
And it's just kind of almost like a fuck you to the movie. Like Leon Kennedy would have dodged this. Sorry to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> and it and it is it plays right into that really goofy nature of the game. Number one, it's like a reconciliation for how like Buckwild Weird the Resident Evil movies are. And it also just also plays into it in a sense of like, and our characters are better too. Like it's playful. <laughs> I, I like that playfulness of it. I want your insight as someone who does a podcast about movie soundtracks. If they tried to adapt the storyline of Resident Evil 4 specifically into a movie, mm-hmm. what artists or songs do you think would appear on that kind of soundtrack? Or who do you think would score that movie? Okay, well, you know what? This is a perfect chance for me to bring up Probably my favorite piece of, and I'll answer your question here in a second, but my favorite piece of any music in a video game is the save room in Resident Evil 4. It's such a magical little piece of music. Like it is like, I don't know what the instruments are that they use, but it is that it is such a pretty calming piece of music that like, I just love the Resident Evil 4 save room music, like to no end. Like I have it on like, my computer and like music that I listen to um, tremendous piece of relaxing music but if I were to have somebody you know what uh, if I were to have somebody score the Resident Evil 4 film I mean is it can I pick anybody I like here you can pick literally anybody it's your it's your it's your you're the producer then it's gonna be John Carpenter okay I think Carpenter could do a very solid because you know what if they adapted Resident Evil 4 specific exactly as it is in the game mm-hmm. then like it has a very carpenter-esque tone with like some of the silliness and i think that he could do a pretty good score for that sort of film like it's like leon is almost like a pretty snake plissken in this in this game so yeah. like yeah it would work no there's that and i mean like there's the fact that the, the spider heads that come out of the, the plaga zombies are literally a, a thing from the thing I looked it up. Uh, the composer for Resident Evil 4 is Misao Sinbongi. She is, this is her only full, like her, her only sole composing credit. She worked on two other video games, uh, but this is the only game she has sole, sole composing credit for, which is so strange because this is a game that has a really good score. And I would imagine somebody who would make something so distinctive would have gotten more work. That is weird. That's really strange because separate ways has a banger when you that is not present in the main game that i Mm. forgot was really good when you come into the um uh it's like chapter four yeah it's the beginning of chapter four where you're in the like underground and anyway yeah fantastic work i don't know why that would be you would think especially with this being such an important it could be different if this were like a cult game you can understand well maybe maybe that's why but like this were like an eternal darkness let's say that's like a beloved cult game like you can understand that but like it's a huge game with really great work. That's shocking. Yeah, no, I was confused by it because it seems like the kind of person that would get consistent work throughout their life. But it stands out. I, I looked on IMDb and everything to make sure I wasn't missing anything. And she only has three credits to her name. Well, look, you did incredible work when the little time you had in that in that field. So yeah. thank you. And I also wanted to shout out the composers of the Resident Evil films real quick as a point of comparison, uh, since we're talking about this subject. I mentioned earlier that Marilyn Manson co-composed the first film with uh, Marco Beltrami. And then Charlie Clauser, uh, a, a former collaborator with acts like uh, Marilyn Manson, White Zombie, Rob Zombie. That's two zombies, by the way. Nine Inch Nails. Uh, he composed the third film. And he's also the composer for the Saw films. So that's the kind of like music that kind yeah. of goes into the uh, Resident Evil films in my mind. 
So to me, if you're making a Resident Evil 4 movie, and let's say in this example, I'm a nine-year-old producing Resident Evil 4 in 2005, I'd probably say Audio Slave or something like that. <laughs> but I like I like that choice. I like I like I could see um, like a stone playing as <laughs> no, no. I'd obviously want something more tasteful. But if you're getting like lyrical music thrown in there, I mean, you can you could tell that that's a movie that would have at least one Lincoln Park song thrown in there towards the end as uh, oh yeah as Leon gets more control of the situation. That it, it does fit. I guess if I were. Yeah. Okay. If we're talking about one made in the year 2005, then I would completely change my answer from Carpenter to probably, yes, something like you just said, like uh, that sort of score. There's something that's going to eat at me if I don't correct the record on this. Okay. I implied a little bit ago that uh, Leon Kennedy is more attractive than Kurt Russell. And I want to make sure to specify that that is not true. No. I said that he was a more attractive Snake Plissken. And that's going to eat away at me if I don't correct that, because that is not true. Kurt Russell is, you know, no one's no one's more attractive than Kurt Russell. But let's um, uh, let's 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 compromise by casting Wyatt Russell as uh, Leon Kennedy in Resident Evil 4 movie that we're making, apparently. Okay, yeah, let's do this with the uh, audio slave. Trying to think of some other bands from that era that would have fit that particular soundtrack would be if we're talking 2005. You don't have to uh, do Disturbed. 2005. I just like threw it out there as like one hypothetical within the hypothetical. Right, right, right. But now I like this idea. So like Disturbed, maybe. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I could I could roll with that. Yeah, we, we'll do Disturbed, Audio Slave, whatever you want to do. Park. Like yeah, Lincoln Park. Lincoln Park songs. Um. And then you gotta have some like one of the like lesser known ones like Breaking Benjamin or something like. Sure. <laughs> one one of those like. Oh, you you you're part of the collection, but you're not like the big one. The same way right. that like Good Charlotte doesn't compare to My Chemical Romance or something like that. <laughs> yes, yeah, My Chemical Romance could be on there. That'd be a good pull, actually. Yeah, I, I mean, here's the thing: uh, Gerard Way is like a very very on the record nerd. Uh, I mean, he has concept work with uh, Grant Morrison uh, for a Batman story and everything like that. So I, I I believe that he would want to be involved in a Mike uh, in a Resident Evil film if you asked him. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah, he's, he's got the clout and he's got the, the pedigree to, to throw it on there. Uh, he, he's the creator of Umbrella Academy. Like, why, why wouldn't it work? <laughs> yeah. The yeah, Umbrella yeah, Academy, and, Umbrella Corp. There you go. And, and speaking of shows with really tremendous needle drops, Umbrella Academy has some really great ones. Yeah, yeah. I've only watched the first episode of that. But in that episode alone, there's already like five or six fantastic ones that stick out mm-hmm. of my mind. There's like an action sequence set to uh, Istanbul, not Constantinople by They Might Be Giants. So, yep. That alone, I should finish the show just for that. It's a fun show. It's fun. It's actually one that I did not watch the newest season, but it's fun. It's well worth watching. Yeah, I'll, I'll have to check it out. I mean, again, it's a content thing. I was talking to somebody earlier about how I haven't even seen Russian Doll season two yet, even though the first one was like one of my favorite shows of that year. And it's just like there's just too much. There's just too much shit coming out. Like, I don't mean that in like a negative way. I'm not like in the sense of like I'm not calling Russian Doll shit, but it's just like things come out and they're buried and nobody talks about them after a week because they just keep throwing more and more things out there. But we're digressing a little bit. That's all right. That's hey, hey, digressions. Well, I, I, you know, I, I, I guess it depends on how tight you like to run your ship. I'm so used to them on, on soundtracker. <laughs> no, no, I love digressions, but I try and make them like fun digressions, like talking about uh, the composer for Resident Evil movies and not, Oh God, everything's shitty. <laughs> um, <laughs> if I had to pick a director, for the Resident Evil 4 movie, whether you want to make it in 2005 or now, do you have a specific individual in mind that you would want that would try and capture the the, the balancing act this game would have to do in a 
being goofy, but also sincerely scary? Because I have one in mind. Oh, uh, you know, I kind of went to Raimi right away, but I think Raimi would do it a little too. I'm saying this as, as somebody who loves Sam Raimi, but if he could avoid some of the Raimi-isms, I think he could probably do it well. Like the like the zooms and the... No, no, fuck it. I'm going Sam Raimi. <laughs> okay, yeah. No, Raimi is a great answer for, you know, whatever Resident Evil is. I mean, he his DNA is all over this franchise in general, but not necessarily a dark horse one, but one that I, I have been thinking about. Uh, have you ever seen that 2018 movie, Apostle? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gareth Evans, who did the Raid movies, directed that. And I don't think Apostle is great. It's like at least 30 minutes too long. But there is some incredible stuff within that movie that makes it well worth watching. God, now I'm thinking of Dan Stevens as a as a Leon Kennedy. I know type. that's that's what I'm thinking right now too. A lot of that movie lines up with Resident Evil Four in terms of like aesthetics and just the vibes of everything going on. And then there's also gruesome violence that's shot like an action movie because again, it's the raid guy. So yeah. I think if you're going to go for a tone like that and discipline the guy in the runtime a little bit. He can make a great Resident Evil 4 movie. I, I think, honestly, I think you might have come up with the top tier answer here. So. I, I don't want to walk it back or anything, but now I'm thinking about the movie Cabin in the Woods 2 and how good uh, Drew Goddard was at directing that movie. And uh, oh God, I can't remember it. I love that movie too. What was it called? Bad Times at the El Royale. Bad Times at the El Royale. Yeah, I love that movie. I think it's... Me too. I think it's overlooked. And I do think that that's another guy who has like the the sensibilities of someone that can make a good movie like that. Yeah, I agree. If he could keep Joss Whedon's fingers out of it. Yeah, no, I mean, he didn't get Joss Whedon in bad times at the El Royale. Right. And that's why I enjoy right. that movie more. <laughs> you know what? Cabin in the woods is a fucking blast though. I really do love cabin in the woods. It's like a, it's a fun one. No, that's a movie that I have come back to a lot. It was like a college favorite to throw on every year. So I'm always going to be emotionally attached to it on that level, but I still keep rewatching it well into my late twenties. And I, I, I still really like it, and yeah, despite the Joss Whedon of it all. I don't know. There's something about that movie where it doesn't bother me as much, mainly because like the characters. I don't know. It's 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 clever enough that I think I can look past some of his little quippy bullshit. Yeah, I mean the other thing is like a, one thing you can do to instantly sell me on a movie is just have a, like a really gnarly weapon in it. Like the recent Prey movie had the mm. had the had the axe attached to a rope, and. Yeah. To that, there's also uh, in Kevin in the Woods, a bear trap attached to a chain that one of the zombies just throws around. And I think <laughs> that's fucking cool. I mm-hmm. want that in everything. <laughs> I want to sort of move on to your relationship with Resident Evil 4 again here and talk about the influence of everything like that. This game is tremendously influential on the world of video games, the language of video games, and has received critical acclaim, is a reliable seller, which is why it's ported onto so many different consoles. But to narrow it back on you, Eric, what impact do you think that this game had on you in terms of shaping your tastes and sensibilities in the years since you've played it? This is an easy one for me. Immediately, it's the fact that I am, at the end of the day, not a first-person shooter person. Um, Mm -hmm. I got real tired of them, and I will always be team over the shoulder third person this, but this game is responsible for that. Like I was fine with like first person games, you know, Goldeneye. I thought Goldeneye was awesome. And like the Metroid prime and those games like, Oh, whoa, it's first person. This is really neat. And then I played this and I was like, this is how an action game should be. So the biggest influence that it had on me is that it made me a humongous fan of like, when I play the fallout games, I always switch to the third person perspective. Um, I don't do it first person. Uh, Now, 
I will say that the first person thing worked very well in Resident Evil 7 and Resident Evil Village, but they are with the Village DLC, they're putting a third person, an entirely new version of the game where you play third person as Ethan. And I am for sure going to play it through that way to see how it feels. But that would be my biggest thing. It kind of turned me off of the idea of first person games because I think action games play much better when it's over the shoulder third person. No, I mean, I tend to to like third person games in general because when I was younger, I got motion sick from playing first person games. So that's something I've since gotten over and don't mind too much, especially if it's a game that just rocks like uh, the Doom Eternal game Mm -hmm. that came out a couple years ago. No, I do tend to gravitate more towards third person because I do feel like those are games that tend to have more personality, I guess, by design, because you're trying to relate to a character versus just uh, like view something through your own lens. It, contradictory, I do find third person games to be more intimate than first person games because of that. And I just tend to like those games more on a gameplay level. Yeah. And that's not to say that I don't want to say there are first person shooter games that I, I just I don't like the like war simulator shit you know what i mean like i I don't care about call of duty i don't care about rainbow i don't know one of the other ones anyways there's a whole bunch of them i don't care about those games i do not care about those games i like like bioshock the bioshock games are all really fun um dishonored's great so there's like first person stuff that i can get behind but like yeah if i'm playing if i'm playing an action game if it has the option to go over the, the third person perspective i'm going to pick that any day of the week yeah, I've found anecdotally that games meant to be played in third person don't really translate super well to first person. They always try to do it in Rockstar games lately, and it never really gels for me. Mm-mm. But there's a lot of games that are pre- played primarily in first person that I don't mind a third person perspective for. Like you were talking about your Elder Scrolls and your uh, Fallout games. I don't, I don't mind those in third person. I like actually looking at my guy and the accessories that they're putting on. Right. That was that was that was my biggest takeaway from Resident Evil 4. That's how it shaped my love of video games. I mean, to, even to this day, like I am a sucker for a third person perspective action game. Yeah. Uh, are there any other ways that you feel like this game has maybe informed your taste at all and like maybe what you watch or anything else? And again, it comes down to the 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 tone of this game um, is as, as we're talking about stuff that I I watcher that i view uh you know obviously i grew up with like the evil dead where you got like the quippy main character but like that's within a horror movie or you got the 80s action movies where it's like the even though this is a throwback to 80s action and stuff his one-liners like the character who's not like an arnold schwarzenegger sort of like hard ass like because leon doesn't you know leon just looks like a normal guy in this like he's like he looks like he could be fronting like Hawthorne Heights or like some some band opening for Hawthorne Heights or something. Um, yeah, no, he's not Chris Redfield. Yeah, the idea of a character who can hold their own in an action film, which is not a thing that really happened, you know, because like, all 80s action movies, and even the 90s, like they tried to like continue on with this idea that like a character has to be like, they have to look a certain way. And I think that there are like certain things that have sort of taken that template that like, it can just be like a normal looking person who can hold their own against a horde of villains and, and, and say funny one-liners. And I, I, I think part of that, not that this game influenced it, but it made me sort of appreciate those more because I was like an eighties action kid growing up. So like, I wanted it to be like an Arnold Schwarzenegger. I wanted it to be uh Sylvester Stallone doing this kind of stuff. But like, this made me realize that like, Hey, it can be like a normal looking person who can do this kind of thing. A big thing that happened, uh, I mean, especially in America in the late 90s, early 2000s, is that 
Americans just got really fucking into Jackie Chan. And he's not an enormous guy. He's small, but he is very athletic. And there's just an amazing, amazing experience watching those movies. Like, I think Police Story is one of the best films ever made just because Jackie is just always on when he's doing the most insane stunts in the world. In a way, Resident Evil 4 is sort of building off of that, like, Jackie Chan legacy of having an acrobatic character be strong and competent and holding his own in the situation versus your, like you were talking about, your Arnie's. Yeah. And and, and even with a guy like Jackie Chan, you know, Jackie Chan, you know, he's one of the most incredibly choreographed, like his, his, his ability to do an action sequence and a stunt sequence is incredible. Okay, let's take, even though he's pretty ripped in it, like Dan Stevens in um, The Guest. Yeah. We'll come back to Dan Stevens here. Yeah, he's like ripped in it, but like he sort of kind of looks like the, like a normal dude. And like his fight sequences in there aren't flashy. They're just like, you know, they're brawler stuff. You know, like with Jackie Chan, you know, Jackie Chan is is incredible. Like you could tell that he has, he's had years of training. I like the idea of somebody who doesn't have any real fight training and just kind of barrels through it with uh, dumb luck and, um, you know, a little bit of know-how. Oh, you mean like a, like a, a Kurt Russell movie? Yeah, yes. Okay, we'll bring it back to Kurt. <laughs> yeah, that's why we're getting Wyatt Russell to play him in the movie if we can't get Dan Stevens. <laughs> yes. Sure, but no, uh, no. Kurt Russell has like an everyman quality while also being a believable action star, and that is a quality that we have so desperately tried to find again, and we tried to throw on a Chris Pratt because he reminded us of Kurt <laughs> Russell very briefly for one movie. No, I mean, now I'm thinking about it. God, God, God was perfect casting for Guardians of the Galaxy 2 was... The, the Kurt Russell thing. God, anyway, um, <laughs> they, they had it. They had it for that those two movies specifically. And then the world, now he's Mario. What the fuck are we doing? I um, don't know. I... But the point being like the, Leon, I'm not saying he, he, he single-handedly changed the sensibilities of uh, the, the hunk to twink dichotomy in the action films now. But God, if he isn't like an early example of that when you really look back in the uh, grand scheme of things. Jack Burton. It's like the ultimate example of somebody who kind of uh, bumbles their way through a, a tremendous situation and with a little help from his friends, which Leon has in this game. I mean, he's got Ada basically kind of like, especially as you learn in separate ways, she's like puppeteering the entire thing. No, for sure. I think that the great theme that the Resident Evil games have over a lot of zombie things is that they're very much about saving people and working together to achieve a goal versus how a lot of them are just like, simply trying to survive i think the great framing device for resident evil 4 is even though this is the game that you are you spend the most time just playing as one guy even then like you said there's the ada uh wong that's working parallel to your goals and then your goal as leon is to save ashley as much as the ashley stuff as a character she's poorly written and as much as the escort mission stuff is a bit dated and frustrating even at the time it does you know, it's a tremendous thing that this that this game is about saving and helping and assisting, and this franchise in general has that sensibility uh, instead of just being about simple survival in a in a bleak situation. Well, in this, you know, outside of Wesker, this really doesn't lean into the whole "what if humans are the real monsters" thing that so much zombie or you know biohazard fiction horror tends to lean into like it's mm-hmm. it's it, you know it's yes and it's like hey romero romero started it romero's like one of my favorite people who ever lived uh, a lot of people took those themes and ran with them in in very cliched ways and this doesn't outside of again wesker who's like the the ultimate villain but like 
it's almost always like some sort of monstrosity that has, I mean, yeah, technically umbrella is the one behind the scenes, but like they're a faceless entity. You know, the only one you can put a face to is Wesker. Yeah. So it doesn't really lead into that whole, like actually humans are the monsters thing. That's just so cliche now. Yeah. The thing about umbrella is that it's not, and I, I guess Wesker does kind of interfere with that as being representational of, you know, that corporation, but umbrella is not a person. Umbrella is just the specter of capitalism destroying mm-hmm. the world. Uh, even, you know, people call Paul W.S. Anderson a, a beathead and boy, does the man sure love his action movies. But if you watch that first Resident Evil movie, they all but like they they go outright and say like, yeah, fucking corporate corporations, man, they destroy and kill people. Uh, that one of the lead characters in there is like part of a a group of people working to expose a corporation for their evil acts, which, Hey, good luck, buddy. Uh, yeah, that's such a consistent theme throughout this franchise. It's just like these major big entities are evil and they corrupt human beings, whether that's turning them into zombies or paying them off to serve the evil of capital, even at the cost of the earth that we all live in. I, like you said, it goes back to Romero in terms of like the themes of what zombie stories are, but it's great that a video game franchise that is all about action or survival or just giving you an experience can also have themes with it that enhance that experience. Absolutely. Eric, it was great talking to you about this game. I do want to sort of give you the space to recommend something either based off of something that people who like this game would like, or just something that you'd recommend just because you really like it. And somebody wants to get to know your taste more. We're at the end here. What would you recommend? What are you buying? Well, okay. So I, there's a game that got really terrible reviews that came out a few years ago called Daymare 1998. They have done some cleaning up to it. They changed the gameplay a little bit to make it a little more, but it was like classic survival horror. The graphics were a little beat for a game made in like 2020. And like, I could understand where like that, it took me a little bit to adjust to the controls, but like any of these old survival horror games, once I did, I had a really good time with this. So Daymare 1998, if you're looking for a little more survival horror stuff, Daymare 1998 is a tremendous one. Um, Eternal, I gotta, I gotta give a shout out to Eternal Darkness. Oh yeah. uh, Another GameCube. Eternal Darkness, if you can find it somewhere and honestly as far as the like finding those games go on your scale it is definitely in the arg area Um, (laughs) good luck i could not believe i found it and i went and played it again but like it is one of the most fine horror games ever even knowing like the tricks that it pulls when certain things would happen i'd be like shit it's erasing my files (laughs) if you don't know what eternal darkness is it's a game that has a sanity meter and the more shit that your character sees, the crazier that they get. And it starts to fuck with her in the game, the character in the game also. And it's like this, like this very Lovecraftian, you know, um, cosmic horror. You play as a whole lineage. You play as different characters. They all meet these terrible fates at the end as this character working through a family tree. But it also fucks with you as the player. We're able to like, and it, it, one thing is it doesn't work as well on modern televisions because it has that old school volume where it's like the green bars that roll down when the volume goes down. Mm-hmm. Uh, it'll look like it's deleting your save files. It's, it is a really great game that, and it's not just a cool gimmick. Like it works so well and the gameplay is very good. The way that you're describing uh, Eternal Darkness, it reminds me of Bloodborne a lot, like number one Lovecraftian themes, but there's also a mechanic in that game where, as the game progresses, uh, you get progressively more insane and 
like you described, you start seeing more and more things. But the, the, the catch is, and this is, I guess, one interpretation of the lore, is that those things are always there. But you are finally at like a level of insane enough that you can just see the, 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 the Lovecraftian monsters that are constantly around in this world making it so shitty. Um, so that reminds me of that. And then you talking about the, oh, it's fucking with my saves. Oh, it's fucking with the volume of things. That reminds me of uh, sequences in games like uh, the Psycho Mantis stuff in the first Metal Gear Solid game on the PlayStation. Or um, a more recent example, 2009 isn't even recent anymore. Uh, Batman Arkham Asylum has those scarecrow sequences that do a similar thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love I love those bits. Like that's that was like the first thing I thought of when I was playing. It was like, this feels like this is the closest I felt to eternal darkness since eternal darkness came out. But they actually copyrighted that mechanic. So that's why you don't see it pop up in things like there's like certain ways they have to approach that now because the the company that made that copyrighted that and uh that's so insane that they would go out of the way to copyright it and then fold and now this game cannot be bought anywhere i i know and like they tried and like it's it's the thing that sucks is the guy in charge of silicone knights i think is the name of the company silicon knights i'm trying to remember if that's um is like not an easy person to root for either so like it it sucks it sucks all around and then the last video game suggestion that i have there was a recent one that came out called tormented souls that like is a very whereas there is a look i can i can understand every complaint for damer 1998 this one actually plays very well like the game plays very smooth the only complaint that i would have on that one is that i played for like an hour and then realized that i hadn't saved and because you couldn't find a safe spot i'm an i'm an explorer i'm somebody who likes to like check every nook and cranny while i'm playing so like i could probably have like gone back and done it again in 10 minutes but it, it took me like two weeks to play it again because I died. And I was like, wait a minute, I got to start this entire game over. <laughs> but, you know, it, it, but that's survival horror. It it wants to make sure that your site, your saves are very uh, spread out. Uh, and then as far as movies go, you know, I'm going to do something a little different because like, as, as far as something that reminds me of the vibe of Resident Evil 4, I'm going to go with something. We're talking about Resident Evil, the movie, Resident Evil movies. Another video game movie that I think is actually very good is the not the second one, but the first Silent Hill adaptation, I think, is another very good, very good video game adaptation. I keep hearing Um, that. It's very solid. I mean, look, does it make a lot of sense? No, neither do the games. (laughs) Uh, But visually, it is incredible what they pulled off it's creepy yeah that's that that would be a suggestion that i would give if you if you enjoy the resident evil films definitely check out the silent hill movie if you have not yet okay yeah i mean i'm i'm tis the season i'll i'll, I'll have to check it out because i already watched uh the resident evil movie i may as well pair that with something else uh any other recommendation oh, excuse me <coughs> I got bit by a zombie earlier and like, uh, I thought I was special. I thought I was special. I thought I was special. I'm sorry, guys. Um, I, I'm not close enough to be, we're recording, we're recording remotely. So I'm in, I'm in good shape over here. Everyone. Where do you live in Ohio again? <laughs> <laughs> You're not going to uh, fool me zombie. Do you have uh, any other uh, recommendations before I uh, go and get my own? Do, like the original Dawn of the dead is my favorite movie of all time. Mm-hmm. But if I were to give one that gave more of a vibe of this one, I would actually go with the Snyder remake. It's action heavy. Yeah, you know what? There it is. Zack Snyder's Dawn of the Dead remake would be another one because it's action heavy. Uh, it's kind of goofy. There's like quippy one liners, mostly from Ving Rhames and uh, shit. I can't think of his name. The guy from the guy who wanted to be in Modern Family as Phil Dunphy. I can't think of the actor's name. But anyway, he's like the prick in that movie. 
So you know what? If we're talking about zombie fare, that sort of reminds me of this. And 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 you know, zombies move pretty quickly in Resident Evil Four, or not the zombies, the Ganados move pretty quickly in Resident Evil Four. Uh, that would be my other suggestion. Would it be the, the the Dawn of the Dead remake in particular, as far as something that kind of gives off a similar vibe to this. Okay, yeah. God, Ty Burrell in a Resident Evil That's it. would be, yeah, that'd be funny. Yeah, no, those are, those are really good recommendations, and I really appreciate those. And those video game ones are, like, really on the mark. I'll have to check out Daymare 1998 and Tormented Souls, because you, you sold me on those. Ah, I'll buy it at a high price. As for my recommendations, uh, the works of John Carpenter were an influence on the game's aesthetics, especially The Thing. Obviously, watch The Thing. The Thing is one of my favorite films ever. Like, actually, like, top 10 films of all time. However, the religious imagery of the game, uh, as well as the mass possession angle, compels me to recommend the 1987 Prince of Darkness movie that we also talked about earlier. Like The Thing, it is also an ensemble film, but it is set primarily in a church in an area with a high homeless population. And it's this thrilling, slow burn movie that gives me just a lot of general Resident Evil vibes, like the fact that the church is repurposed to be a lab for these grad students. In general, it just feels like a Resident Evil thing to do the same way the the police station is a repurposed museum. I'm really into that. My other recommendation, uh, Eric, have you seen Barbarian yet? I have not had a chance to watch it yet. I am I'm pissed because I really want to, but I've not made it. I've not made it to the theater to see it. Uh, so it's coming to HBO Max towards the end of the month. So your time will come soon within the next couple of weeks. It's fucking great. <laughs> I won't get into too much detail, but parts of it feel like an honest to God Resident Evil game. Uh, in fact, the director, Zach Kreger from Whitest Kids You Know, uh, used footage from Resident Evil games in his rip reel when he was trying to get the movie made just to like get a sense of like the vibe of what was being um conveyed in his film like he used shots from the movie parasite like specifically the one of the guy emerging from the the stairs in the basement just like horrifying imagery to sort of convey an idea about a place and it's just so fucking good as a movie i cannot stop thinking about it um i won't talk about it because it's the kind of film you want to watch just not knowing everything about it uh i love it it's one of my favorite films of this year Check that out if you like these kinds of games or just like these kinds of like spooky, just as a spooky movie, spooky movie, what the fuck did I just say? (laughs) It's just a great October movie recommendation that I'm just trying to get as many people to watch as possible. So I'm recommending that. That's all I have to recommend because Eric really covered me on the video game front. Eric, uh, last question for you. What video game uh, would you recommend to John Carpenter if you could only recommend one? Uh, you know what? I'm going to come back to it. Eternal Darkness. I feel like he would dig that. I feel like he would dig the insanity mechanic. Yeah, I do think that he would really buy into that. He's he got it. Number one with a bullet. Eric, it was so, 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 so great to talk about your favorite game here on this podcast. Um, really means a lot that you came on here. Before I let you go, I do want you to promote yourself a little bit and tell people where to look for you. What are you selling? Well, first of all, thank you for having me on. Like the opportunity to talk about Resident Evil 4 is like, I'm just, I'm just so thrilled that I got to do this and I love this show. And I like, you know, I, I, I like, I like talking to you. You're very fun to have a conversation with. I appreciate you asking me on. And the fact that no one had chosen this game yet was like really awesome to me too. Cause I was like, has anybody picked this one? And I was expecting there to be like, yeah, somebody 
you know, I knew that it hadn't been recorded yet, but I was like, it's like me with my show where people are like, what about this one? And I'm like, it hasn't been recorded yet, but I had somebody ask for it like six months ago and I can't, I can't push it out from under them. But, um, thank you for having me on here because it's, you know, we talked about this in the Tenenbaums episode a little bit, how, or it might've been before we recorded talking about how, you know, having these shows that like are celebratory of things as opposed to cynical. And I love that about this show. So thank you. Uh, she asked me to come on and celebrate things that I enjoy and, and still cast a critical eye to it by pointing out that Ashley's a terribly written character. So sure. Um, I mean, nobody, not, nobody's perfect, but we, again, this is a game that feels pretty close to perfect every time I play it. Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. So as far as where you could find me, you could find me on Twitter at Uwe Bullocks, U W E B O L L O C K S. Yes. Like the director of the really shitty video game movie adaptations, who I hope isn't listening to this because he'll want to take me in a boxing ring and fight me. Um, and, and, uh, you can also find me on Twitter at the handle soundtracker with an underscore at the end. What soundtracker is, is the podcast that I've been doing for a little over a year now where I discuss a movie with an original motion picture soundtrack every week, myself and a guest will talk about it. We don't just cover the big ones either. We talk about things like major league like maybe a movie that you have seen a million times and didn't realize had a soundtrack because so many movies had soundtracks and uh whether or not they're worthwhile we will talk about that we discuss the movie ranking we discuss the ranking of the soundtrack we'll go through a track by track breakdown of the soundtrack at the end the guest and myself will give recommendations for things to watch rate each movie rate each soundtrack and um i'm in the middle of my own spooky season by the time this comes out uh, it'll be winding down a little bit, but I have done the craft blade devil's rejects scream and the fear. So if you like horror stuff, you've got five episodes that you can dig back to by the time this comes out Four or fifth one, right around the corner the, to continue on with Halloween, to close it out with the bang, if you'd like, but it's a, it's a combination movie and music podcast. And, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty proud of it and I enjoy it. And Kiefer was on there and delivered, one of my most loved episodes so far in the Royal Tenenbaum. So check that one out if nothing else. Yeah, critically acclaimed podcast episode, folks. No, <laughs> but um, <laughs> no, it was a real joy to be on because it is legitimately one of my favorite podcasts ever. And I go out of my way to listen to it. I actually go out and watch the movies that are coming up so I can actually listen to the show alongside the episodes because it's a, it's a great format. It's just a great format. Y'all should listen to it. Why are you listening to this and not that? It's just like, it, it's great stuff. No, 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 no. Don't sell yourself short here. This is a great show too. I makes me happy that you do that though, because it is one of those things that like, I, I really hope it gets more interactive that way. And I want to try to do stuff. Like I would really love to do like viewing parties on discord for people so that they can see these movies that they may not have heard of. Cause like the one at the end of October is like very, very small scene movie, but it has one of my favorite soundtracks. So like, um, you know, I, I, I need to like try to get into stuff like that because I would love for it to be more interactive. So I, I appreciate that you do that. I'm really into the show and I, I like to keep up with it. And the, the format, like I said, is just like a, a huge selling point for me. And also it's about movies. So movies just feels a lot more manageable than video games. I have to play 20 hour games in anticipation of a guest sometimes. And I love it because these games are so good and they mean so much to people and the episode is always rewarding to record. But God, if two hours isn't a lot more manageable than 20. I mean, there's obviously there's more preparation than that. Like having to listen to the album a few times, put together notes, but like 
nowhere near because you got to do this and put together notes and put together the excellent interview questions that you put together. And yeah, like it's just there's a lot to this. I uh, I I'm really impressed with how well you managed to pull all this off because it's a tough one. Before I let you go, I do have some uh, user submitted comments. Would you want to stick around while I read them off? For sure. Sure. So I asked listeners of the show their opinions on Resident Evil 4. So at Scaroline said, it is my favorite game ever made. The GameCube version is superior to all other versions. And I know because I played them all. Leon is the greatest smug little twink in games history. Ada is cool and good. Krauser is there too. <laughs> hey, hey, hey. <laughs> I like Krauser. I don't understand the Krauser hate. I didn't realize that was a thing until recently. I, I didn't mind Krauser at all. Sometimes you just need a big guy unless you're Ethan from Resident Evil 8 and then that big guy is just tormenting you all the time. But <laughs> what is that if not the spirit of Resident Evil? Right. <laughs> uh, at Pizza Dinosaur, who was a previous guest on the show in our Super Mario Brothers 3 episode and uh, just a good friend of mine in general, he said, before 2005, Resident Evil was my favorite series. The first six games are some of my favorites ever with quality pre-renders, fight or flight decisions and cool creature design. It updated the old adventure genre into a, what would become known as survival horror. Fantastic stuff. Then 4 comes out and throws it all away to be a third-person shooter. Everything I loved was gone, even the journals. 4 feels catered to the people who would say that the control was bad or the action suck, both missing the point. It left me cold and sad my favorite series was dead. Um, I, I, eh. I, dis I disagree with his assessment. I, you know, Dre, you're my friend. I love you deeply. Uh, he said you're, to me privately, you're probably not going to read this on the show. And guess what, buddy? I read it. No, here's the thing, though. There is that divide. And like, I look, I grew up with the original ones, but like they were having just come off the back of zero. It was getting stagnant. They had to do something, I, you know, and I can I, I do feel like probably had they done Resident Evil 4 as a one off and then gone right back to it. He maybe he wouldn't feel any different about this, but um. I feel like especially after five and six really watered it down that left a, some of the people who had that divide that like, well, I don't know how I feel about this maybe are even more harsh on four than they would be without five and six existing. Yeah. I mean, there's a thing where it's like, yeah, this gameplay style sort of monopolized the series for at least a decade, not just in mm. the you know main series, but in the spinoff games like revelations as well. Yeah. Uh, so I understand that it's a, it's a valid critique to have those first six games mean a lot to people. And my personal mm -hmm. assessment is just like, Hey, I mean, those are there and that's there too. But I understand yeah. people missing those kinds of fixed camera horror games that just feel like living, moving paintings and nightmares. So, I mean, it's a, it's a take that I, I wanted to read because it's not coming from a place of hate for a franchise. It's coming from a place of love and just frustration. So I, I, you mm -hmm. know, I disagree, Dre, but your, your, your opinion is valid to me. And I, right. uh, that's why I'm happy to read it on the show. Yeah. I'm not mad about it. Like I understand that. I look, I completely understand feeling that way. If, if, uh, you were that into the tank control stuff, but like, I just, to me, like I said, zero, I realized that the, like the, the rust was showing on the formula and for better or for worse, it did give us, you know, a, ref, a you know, refined third person shooter gameplay. So it's contribution, mm -hmm. not just as. Uh, you know, a game in the Resident Evil franchise, but just as a a, a significant work in a medium, I, I, I'll never be able to dis dismiss that. Yeah. At Prole Zone said, it's a classic, but I wish it had more puzzles where you like have to make a statue out of spider bones or whatever. This is a, this is a sincere take. 
Yeah, I agree. I do wish that there was a little bit more puzzle solving in here, but I do think that the inventory management system itself is just kind of like an ongoing puzzle that's sort of reframed into a personal problem instead of something that feels a little bit esoteric. Yeah, and like the one true puzzle in this game is like I'm really terrible at those things where you've got to like slide little tiles around and uh, like come up with a picture. A picture. I've never been good at those. And when I get to that point in the game with Ashley, I have to look it up on the internet because I like I don't have to, but I'm like I'm not going to spend 15 minutes trying to figure this shit out after my 30th playthrough. I am going to look this up online. And uh, yeah, I, I I agree with that, but like. Like, I like the puzzle aspect in the way they did it in like seven, where you had to like turn the shadow figures around. And I, I don't know. I didn't miss the puzzle so much in four. I'm okay with the, the lack of puzzles. Yeah. The thing I love the most about the Resident Evil puzzles, though, is just how like absurd that they are, like in two remake with the chess pieces that you have to use as like electrical sockets or whatever. Yeah, um, that shit will never not be funny to me or the notes they leave behind in like a lore explanation way that's super on the nose in a way that I just cannot get over and adore like, um, <laughs> hey, man, <There's> like- <laughs> this sarcophagus is uh, actually a, a secret closet door, but you need the the key that uh, is actually a series of bandages that you have to collect in the uh, in the nurse's room. Uh, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. But yeah, could you get the key for me? <laughs> <laughs> and then you open a sarcophagus and then boom, a zombie comes out. <laughs> well, there's even a joke in Resident Evil 7 where Ethan's like, when he when he's like getting through with, you have, wait, you, I can't remember. Did you say you have played 7 or you have not played 7? I played 7. I haven't played Village yet. Okay. So you don't remember in 7 when he has to do like the, the you have to line the shadows up with the on the wall with the wood in front of the light. And he's like, yeah. who designed this? Like, it's like <laughs> a funny, like, yeah, like no house would ever have this design. Yeah. It's just funny that that game does feel like, oh, let's scale down Resident Evil again for the first time since the second game. And then also mm-hmm. like they had the world's largest backyard that <laughs> just <laughs> keeps leading into more and more boathouses and shit. And that's why I love this series is the, the absurd uh, yep. architecture of everything. And that's something that that's <laughs> something the first movie also gets well. It's just the absurd architecture of underground yeah. facilities. Yeah. <laughs> One last tweet before I let you go. Uh, at Duggernaut said, one of the greatest pieces of entertainment produced in the 21st century. I can't wait to buy a re-release of it 10, on 10 more platforms. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I, that is specifically how I feel about it. That is like me. That is, that is, that is better than anything I said on the show, honestly, <laughs> as far as how I feel about this game. It's, it's the Skyrim thing. They got us for life. Eric, uh, thank you again for being on this show. It meant so much to me that you got to be on here. And it's always a joy. If you ever have another game that you find meaningful and you ever want to talk about, please let me know. You're always welcome back on the show. Thank you. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of Select and Start. Once again, I'm your host, editor, and promoter, Kiefer. If you enjoyed this episode, please give the show a positive review wherever you're listening to this. Engagement helps the show and your feedback will improve it. And if you want to get more engaged, give the show a follow on Twitter at SelectPodStart. If you have thoughts about this game or any other game that we've discussed, please send me a DM or leave a comment and I will gladly read it on the show. You can also support me on Patreon. If you pledge at least $1 a month, you will get early access to new episodes as well as extended episodes with exclusive content. You can also follow me at Danny Vegito and find links to the rest of my projects in the description of this episode. 
The art for this show was made by my best friend, Avery Ott. You can follow him on social media with the handle at Avery Robin Ott. That's A-V-R-Y Robin O-T-T. You can check out the links in the description for his work as well as Eric's. All right. I think that's it. (laughs) Thank you. Why don't you do us all a favor and leave before the audience gets pissed off? 